Patricia, my darling Patricia I can see all my dreams in your eyes Your smile is as gay as a bright summer day You're much fairer than Aaron's blue skies Oh, Patricia, my lovely Patricia You could make all my dreaming come true My heart is just drooling, Patricia, no fooling I'm falling in love with you And hello, everybody. It is a beautiful Saturday night. Uh, March 31, year 2018. I'm Wong Hughes. And I'm going to have Patricia introduce a very special guest. So, Patricia, here you go. Thank you, Walden. Okay, for our family of listeners out there, we have the author of My Days, Happy and Otherwise. And Marion, I don't know if you know this, but after four days of sales, you're number 85 in the television genre on Amazon, which is pretty darn good after four is days. That, it's, so it's number 85? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> and that's pretty good? That is excellent. You're in the top 100, yes. <laughs> okay. It's, it's wonderful, yes. So well, I'm thrilled. Is, I'm thrilled, darling. Yeah. Okay. Well, we're going to talk about that in a minute. Our guest has done movies, stage, umpty oomph in television, and you will recognize her immediately when I tell you we're talking with Marion Ross, who is known throughout the world as Mrs. Cunningham, Richie Cunningham's mother on Happy Days. Marion, I am just so happy that you're going to be able to spend time with us tonight, and you made a mistake well, telling me. Well, thank you so much. You do you know how old I am. I'm very uh, well. I'm very. I am now. I am now 89 years old. Can you believe that? Yeah. Wow. No, not <laughs> by talking with you. If if uh, if I didn't know uh, from Happy Days and the years that Happy Days played, and and taking an educated guess, if it were by your voice. We wouldn't peg you near that. Well, this is this is the new eighty nine children. I just want you to know <laughs> this is what eighty nine is. It's not so bad. <laughs> it's Richard, eat your vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> you read your vegetables. <laughs> yes, I know. We really did watch this, Marion, and loved every minute of it. Marion, what I'd like to do, if it's all right with you, is start in the, and give us an overview of how you got into show business. You had a dream from the time you were almost a tot, for goodness sakes. Would you give us a peek into that part of your life? Well, because I, yes, from the time I was about 13, um, I just oh, I had to become so, so special. Well, first of all, you know, I had a, my brother who has passed away, so I can say whatever I want. He's a lovely, lovely guy. But he was a crippled boy, So, and I was the second little girl. So I, being in the middle and having a crippled brother who was 18 months younger, I didn't get any attention at all. I had to be just good, quiet, be good. And uh, inside was this person screaming to get out, you know, and to have everybody look at me, please look at me, you know. Yes. Now, did Gordon ever know what your feelings were when you were growing up after you got to be adults? Were you able to talk about that? 
my mother, who was a Canadian, my mother was an immigrant, so my mother understood, and she said, and she always said to me, "You can be anything," you know. So I was raised on that, and mm-hmm. I thought to myself, "I will, Mama. I will. I will be somebody," you know. W- weren't you raised did. that way? Uh, well, no, I wasn't. <laughs> really. Um, no, no, I think, uh, I don't know how unusual your circumstances are, but we could find a whole lot of people who did not have parents who were that encouraging. They were accepting, but not necessarily encouraging, and I'm just so delighted that you can tell me that your parents were like that. Yes, well, more I almost had to be. I, yeah, yeah, I almost had to be, you know? Yes, yeah, self-preservation and being able to tackle the world without as much support as perhaps some of the other kids had. So you you really you really did it. Tell me about the first audition you had, and certainly we're going to spend a, a fair amount of time on Happy Days. But I, I'm really oh, interested. I I, I love the whole Happy the whole Paramount stories because that yeah. was about 1952, you know. Mm-hmm. And uh, my first I got to audition at Paramount, and uh, first of all I had a cold sore. You know, and then I had cut my bangs off, so they were too short. And, and um, I never saw so many beautiful girls in my life as these other girls who were auditioning. And But they were like beauty queens and, and things like that and uh-huh. come to the studio to get a contract. So here I was, a young actress. And I, I, I love it so much. I hired, a, I hired a coach to work with me especially. And I was a college graduate. You know, I was I was like 23 years old. So um, when I, by the time I finished the 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 screen test, one of the grips came up to me with his greasy, dirty hand, and he and he shook my hand and he said, "You should thank your mother." <laughs> <laughs> Did he think she was a stage mother? Well, he and I understood exactly what he meant. The way ah. that I was different. I was I was I, I was somehow special, you know. And indeed he was right. And did you, this is kind of off the wall question. Did you feel uncomfortable that he was giving credit for you to your mother? No, I understood perfectly what he meant. You knew exactly that, what he meant. That here were here were all these beauty queens, and yeah. you, somehow I was special, you know. And I am so and, delighted. And being to hear an that. actor, an actor, you want to be special. Yeah, if you're indeed. a beauty and queen, yeah, uh, that's a different thing. Yes, there there was a line in your book that just absolutely tickled me. I laughed out loud about walking around the lot. Do you remember what you said in that line? No, you, you tell me. <laughs> I walked briskly around the lot to make it appear I was always late for something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that is just... That was a, I didn't have anywhere to go. <laughs> <laughs> yes, but everybody else thought so, and that was that was exactly the way to go. Now, you talked about your first award. I should have, I am, I should have had a script under my arm, too. You know. <laughs> <laughs> that would have completed the picture. <laughs> That's good. Afterthoughts are always wonderful. <coughs> Excuse me. You you talked about your first award. Do you recall that in the book? The first I wonder. Award. I wonder what that was. I don't know. Well, 
Well, you didn't quite know. It was either an ashtray or a coaster. Oh, yes. It was in college. Yes. It was, it was either a, It was either a coaster or, a, or an ashtray. And I had done, I had done late, The Lady Shows Her Medals, a J.M. Barry play. And I played this funny old lady, and I had a Scottish accent. I, I, see, I loved acting, and I still love acting. I can tell. I can tell. You're just so enthusiastic about everything. And when I get to some yes. of the quotes <laughs> that the cast said about you, it's going to come through 112%. Tell me about your television life before we get to Happy Days. <coughs> or would you rather start oh, with, um, it, with In fact, what happened was I was getting to be so poor. I was getting divorced. I rented out a room in my house. All the, I had two children to support. And I called up George Seaton was doing airport, and I had worked for him before, and I went to see him, and I said, I'm getting a divorce, and would you give me a part in the movie? He said, do you want a part or a long part? I said, a long part. So I got to be one of the people on the airplane, and we were paid less than a, than a, less than minimum. We were paid very little, but, and we didn't have any lines. But but then my friends could say, how can you take such a terrible part? I said, I have to. I have yeah. to. I have to make some money. But because of that, in fact, it's an example of you. Sometimes you have to step way back, step way back, so that you can build up enough strength to move forward. And it mm-hmm. was after meeting Sandra Gould on that plane, had me to dinner. I met, she had the casting woman over and the casting woman said, you'd be good for that mother on this thing, this Happy Days kind of pilot we're doing, you know? So, I love it. Before you got to Happy great. Days, I have a list of television shows you appeared in, and not necessarily as a lead person, but certainly an appearance in there that included The Lone Ranger, George yes. Burns and Gracie Allen. Yes. Do you remember any interactions with George and Gracie? I, I do, because it was very early in my career. And uh, oh, I'm trying to think of what George, George. First of all, Gracie Allen was so beautiful. She had the most beautiful skin, and she wasn't mm. silly at all. You know, you know, like, yes. like we women, she's not silly at all. Yeah. So that was, that was her, her acting persona. And, and George Burns was, he was so funny. He said, I said, good morning. He said, yes. He said, it's a good morning. I see I woke up today. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> That's cute. What, what, what was your role on the Burns and Allen show? It was just an insignificant person. It was a very early in my career, very not very important. I hardly remember. All I remember is George Burns being so funny, you know. Mm, that's nice that you had such a good memory about him. How about yes, and that she was so beautiful. Uh huh. And Isn't that funny? it's true. The for for the most part, her silly side was what the public saw and heard on radio, saw on television and heard on radio. Yeah. And it, it's hard to, for some people to believe if we have a serious recording of her voice. And it doesn't Very sound smart like woman. Her. Yeah. 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 And you know how brilliant. we girls are. We hide oh, that. Oh, yes. <laughs> I like that. 
that's good. Now you've got a new generation that's coming, that's come out full yes. force, you know. Yes, indeed. Well, I have, I'm asking about the Lone Ranger and George Burns and Gracie Allen, and I'm going to ask about Father Knows Best, because those are radio shows that transferred over to television. They were radio first. So, um, Father Knows Best, what do you remember about Father Knows Best on TV? Yeah, not too much, not too much. So it's funny how you do these shows. I love being mm-hmm. on the Lone Ranger, though, because it was all these guys that played poker all the time, and <laughs> they weren't very interested in acting. I was a terribly serious young actress, oh. terribly serious. I mean, I got to say that famous line, who was that masked man? And I never got to thank him. <laughs> you did get to say that. Oh, hooray. Uh-huh. Now, we're we're yeah. going to have some sound effects here. I'm I'm very sorry for that. I am in a rehab facility. I'm learning how to walk on my right leg again. And that means I'm on a public area. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. And and I'm lucky enough to be next to the vending machine. (laughs) Well, well, let me ask, Mel, do you remember anything about the Glenn Miller story, the famous movie with Jimmy Stewart? Oh, I do indeed. I I do indeed. I played a part where I was the friend of the band master, band leader, and, and I had many, many scenes with June Allison. Mm. And um, at lunch, I had no one to go to lunch with because I was, you know how you're all in different categories. Yeah. Yeah. So I went down to the commissary to sit at, the, sit at the counter, and sitting at the counter was the great Louis Armstrong, Cozy wow. Cole, Barney Bagard, all these old jazz guys. Yeah. All these jazz guys. And I sat with them, and I sat with them and talked to Louis Armstrong all the time. Wow. Do you love that? Wow. I, I love that. Yeah. Do you remember anything about the conversation that you had with him? I wonder if I can. It's getting to be a long time ago. Yeah. Huh? Yes. Uh, it was something about the fact because Louis Armstrong had gone about get, losing a great deal of weight. So he was mm. telling me all about <laughs> how he lost all this weight. <laughs> And uh, and how about the movie Teacher's Pet? Anything about Doris Day or Clark Gable? Yeah, because that's why I have in the book. I have this wonderful picture with Clark Gable. Mm -hmm. I tell you, I don't know if you ever met Clark Gable in your life. No, no. But he was somebody. If you met him, you never got over it. It was uh, was just phenomenal. Yeah. It's and he was so nice to me. You know, right on the picture. Wow. And it's just wonderful. But to me, you, uh, you know, you meet a lot of big stars. Sometimes they don't hold their aura. Right. He yeah. really did. <laughs> he, he did. And I do have a list of the people that I pulled out of the book, that the people you have met or had met, and many of them worked with. It's just quite remarkable. But I don't want to let go of Clark Gable because you gave him a gift. You gave him an egg. Oh, it was Easter time. So I had brought a colored egg, and and I wrote on the on the egg, "Mr. Loves CG." Well, <laughs> then, I I was too shy to give it to him. So then I gave it to his. He had a stand a stand-in fellow who was with him all the time, and he was buffer. He kept people away. So I said I said to Alabama, Alabama, will you will you give Mr. Gable this egg? So he. <laughs> Because I was afraid to give it to him. So he gave it to him. And Clark Gable just, you know, made a circle with his fingers and to me. And, you know, like, thank you for the eggs. You know, so. uh, but, you know, it's funny how you meet some people and you can kind of get over it. 
I couldn't mm-hmm. with Clark Gable. How long did it take you to get over it? Never, or never. 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 <laughs> You're still with it. No, in fact, You're recently I just saw Gone with the Wind again. And when I, when I met him, he was about 50, 55 years old and nearly, and nearly gone. But in the Gone with the Wind, he must have been about 35. Super duper. No, there was nobody like him. No. Yeah. In, in fact, there are still three cast members still alive from the movie. And I just had Mickey Cunn on last week and uh, Pat Curtis, who played a little boy in that. But it's still, it's still remarkable because that movie will be 80 years old next year. What, what well, a, Olivia de Havilland is 102 or something. Yeah. Two, 102. Yeah. And, I agree. And, and, mm. uh, you know, I just saw that movie recently. Wow. That really holds up. It sure does. It does. It's, it's a timeless piece of work. Timeless. Tell me about Claudette Colbert. Oh, she was awful. Awful. That's Tell something. me about her. <laughs> first of all, first of all, I was in with Sir Noel Coward, and and I had the first one of the first autobiographies I ever read was Noel Coward's Present Indicative. I read that when I was like. 13, 14. Now I am working. I'm 25 years old and I am working with Noel Coward. My God. And he was everything that you would want him to be. And a very nice person. A good person. So she was such a pain in the neck, I tell you. Uh, she would, I think she was nervous, so she kept interrupting Noel Coward all the time. And, <laughs> and pushing me around, grabbing me. So she would almost hurt me, grab me and move me around because I played the maid, you know. And uh, it was just um, a a real eye-opener. Wow. But Lauren Bacall, you had a different impression. Lauren Bacall, what an angel. And because she was still young, she's she's really not that, she was not that much older than me, really. Mm -hmm. And uh, she... uh, uh, was in awe of of Noah Coward and just trying to be the best she could, and it, she played Elvira, the other the very the very glamorous pretty wife. So at one scene, Claudette is is coming down the grand stairway, and and Claudette and Lauren Bacall is standing by the grand piano. So Claudette said, "I I want to stand by the grand piano." So oh. Noah Coward said, "All right, my darling, certainly, certainly." We restages the whole thing. Now, Claudette is by the grand piano. Lauren McCall still looks pretty damn good coming down the grand st- stairway. So, <laughs> so she, she, she was not happy with anything. Oh, gee. Oh, tell me how difficult that was to work with someone who had that kind of a, an uptightness and rudeness. She created a terrible atmosphere. Isn't that something? Yeah. Powerfully terrible atmosphere. So I, I don't know if I have this in the book. I've forgotten. But at one point, she asked so many questions, and she interrupted so many rehearsals. That, that finally, Noah Coward said, Claudette, shut your fucking face. <laughs> I don't think I have that in the book. And yes, you do. Her reaction was, shut my fucking face. Shut my fucking yes. face. Yes. <laughs> and then it was war. It was war. Mm-hmm. And that didn't contribute to the atmosphere on the set. Pardon me? 
I said that did not contribute good things to the atmosphere on the set. Oh, no. It, no. No. Uh, it didn't. No. Tell me about should... meeting Cary Grant. Cary Grant? Another, hmm. another, oh, my God, it was so fabulous. And if I tell you everything that's in the book, but I, I was doing Operation... Uh, Operation Petticoat, and we were shooting down in Key West, Florida, and I, 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 I sat up on the top of this submarine, this pink submarine that was at the side of the dock, and we weren't shooting at the minute, and I sat up there, and, and then Cary Grant came up and sat next with me up there, and I said, I, I, um, I don't think that I should go down in the submarine because... I am two months pregnant. He said, you are. And he started to cry. <laughs> it the most beautiful we had together. Did you go down in the submarine? No, they, they, I, I didn't have to go down in the submarine. Excellent. So I was glad. Very excellent. Yeah. Can we talk about happy days? Well, I tell you, it was like children. It was like children at play. That was the atmosphere. Did you ever visit us on the set? Oh gosh, no. No, we Florida. never did. We never I, did. I, yeah. Yeah. That would not have been something we visited by television every week. Well, we of course we we really catered to a young audience. Our first mm -hmm. audience uh, on a Friday night was all the young people. You know. Then we would do it all over again for an older audience, a little older audience. Uh, it was a, a wonderful <laughs> learning experience because it was so freewheeling, you know. Mm, and yes. Jerry Paris was a tremendously creative director, and he would make more mistakes than we were making. So it was great. It was an atmosphere of really tremendous freedom. Yeah. And Gary Marshall, uh -huh. he... he he tried to make the actors happy, and 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 then on top of everything else, we had a softball team. That's on my list. That somehow that helped to keep us together. You know, we went we went for eight seasons, and a great deal of it was depended on that softball team. What did you did you actually? I picked up the word tours. I think it was in and Danny Most. I'm sorry, uh, I didn't hear you. I said I picked up the word tours associated with the softball tour. Well, yes, we we played uh, before the before the big games in all the major cities before the big uh, National League American League games, and we would be down in the dugout with all these famous ball players, and. Uh, they trained the Fonz to be the pitcher. Oh, gee. And, he, and, and he'd never played softball before, so he was a wonderful pitcher. And Gary Marshall was first base. Ron Howard was right field. And Anson oh. Williams and Donnie Most. Everybody that, I'm, you almost couldn't be in the cast of Happy Days if you couldn't play ball. You know? <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Now, that was an 11-season <laughs> run, Marion. You, for 11 seasons, you were Mrs. Cunningham, and Mrs. Cunningham continued to evolve as a character over the seasons. What are the biggest changes that happened to Marion Cunningham on that show? Well, you know, what I would do, I would, first of all, I had 
lines at the beginning, like, oh, Howard, oh, and, oh Richie, you're not eating. Those, those were my parts. So as they, they would say to me, now, Marion, just read for the table read on Monday. Read all the other women and all the other girls, read, you know, read those parts, you know, for the reading. So mm-hmm. I would just read the bejesus out of that. So I, I was constantly <laughs> auditioning for those writers, and they would yeah. begin to write better and better for Mrs. C. So, so my advice to young actors is don't be pouting around about the size of your part. Somehow keep showing them what you can do, and they'll make your part better. Great advice. Great advice. I want to go through a list of the actors, the, the primary actors, and I'd like you to talk a little bit about them. Um, I've got information, obviously, from the book, so I'm going to ask you specifically if we don't manage to touch on it. Tell me about Tom Bosley. Yeah, I had trouble with Tom Bosley because I didn't think he liked me. Uh, I don't think he did, and he may have wanted somebody else to play the mother. He had come from Broadway winning the Tony for doing Fiorello, for God's sake. So he, he, was, the big, he was the top guy in the company. He must have gotten the most money and everything. So he, uh, so he, he didn't like me, and uh, the harder I would try to please him, uh, then, he, then he didn't like me even more so. So what I finally did was got some needle points, and I thought, I think I will just off stage do this needle point and stay out of the firing line here. Because it, it's all about boys and about it, everybody, you know, yeah. knocking it back and forth. And, and little Aaron Moran, and Aaron Moran and I were the only girls. And, mm-hmm. and poor little Aaron. Look what happened to Aaron, you know? Yeah. Awful. Was not a not a good after time in adulthood for more um, for Aaron. I, I do know that. No, you know, and uh, other than Ron, who is so and his parents were so sensible, you uh, as a rule you don't want your children. Not a good thing for your children, you know. Yeah, yeah. As as um, as difficult as Tom Bosley was to work with. There was never even a hint of that on the show that was actually broadcast, which is a testament to your performance and your acting. Yeah. That it never intruded yeah. there. Were there times like when sometimes in rehearsal because I would he would say don't touch me. I'd say okay, I'm sorry. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, but you would think that we were the coziest couple in the world. Yeah. Uh-huh. And after Indeed. about after about four years, it it finally went away he used to say to me uh marion who gives a shit because i would tell some start to tell some story and he would say who gives a shit marion and so one time he was honored at a big banquet and uh i got up and i said tom i just wanted to tell everybody that i give a shit about you (laughs) (laughs) did it work yes i think so it began to work oh gosh Oh, gosh, you met him on his own territory. But, you know, you you have to be, I'm not a very tough person. I'm not a tough person at all. But you kind of have to be tough, don't you? Wow. You're not tough, but you're very strong, and there is a difference. I'm very smart, and I'm, I was well brought up, and uh, 
I am strong, you know. You are a strong person, <laughs> yes. I have a note here from Gary Marshall. Now, your, oh. your, I, I don't know, a co-writer is that you, it's it's your biography with David Laurel, and David yes. Laurel set up, and I think this was so wonderful because you were not responsible for writing the accolades about you that were written. And there are so yeah. many. I mean, it was pages of them. These people just adored you and still adore you. Gary said, well, of, go ahead. No, what were you going to say? I was going to ask Gary, one of the things that Gary said was that about the classic shows with Ozzie and Harriet and Leave it to Beaver where the women were the kinds of mothers that people thought mothers should be. However, Gary said of the actresses who played the famous mothers, you did more for motherhood than anybody else. Oh, how lovely. How lovely. What do you think? <clears throat> I it just, is lovely. It was, a, it was a, a very fortunate. And while I I raised my own children at that time, mm-hmm. my, my, my daughter... Who uh, is now all grown up, and she was a writer producer on Friends of all things, and now she is a writer producer on a new for ABC. She's just made an, an, she's making a new pilot. I don't really know the name of it, and uh, so how about What's, that? She's, she's, give us a synopsis. Do you have a synopsis of what the show is going to be? I, d- I don't know. I, d- I don't ask her. <laughs> she doesn't tell me, and I don't ask her. She's very, uh, she's very busy. In- but she has two very young children, so that's uh, we're involved. And I'll see them all tomorrow. You know. Uh-huh. Oh, that's great. And you're flying to New York City, you said. Pardon me? I said you're flying to New York City, you said, before we on, on, on Monday, the air. yes. On Monday, yes. yeah. And I hope you have a wonderful trip. Now, Erin... Aaron, I'll start with Ron Howard here. Ron said you are one of the best listeners he has ever known and that the greatest quality you brought to the show was that you oh, knew how to yes. diffuse things. You you were the ah. the person who calmed things down. Tell me about something. Yes. Do you have an example of that? Uh, I, I can't write off the pink, but um, um, I, was the, I was the mother, you know. I was mm-hmm. the mother, and, and, and Ron. Yeah. Ron is such a good friend, and what a what a fine man he is. And now his daughter Bryce is coming along with a beautiful career. Ah, really? Bryce Howard. Uh huh. Punch her up, and you'll see. I will do that. My gosh, I. You know, Ron. You can help me with this. He seems like beautiful such red a hair, and oh, he has gosh, he yeah. has actually got four children. I, I was going to say he's got four children. I did remember reading about that. But he seems to be a very private person. Am I on target with that? Oh, yes, he is private, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I'll have and, to And I'll controlled, and, and he's a, it's amazing. He's quite a grown-up, you know. His father just died, his father Rance, oh. and what a lovely man he was, you know. He had to be. To have yeah. a son like Ron, he had to be. That's Aaron right, and, and he should take full credit for the way Ron turned out. When we would have parties, you know, after the Happy Days show, he, mm-hmm. after a very short time, Rance would take Ron home. He would just take him home. Mm-hmm. And whereas little Aaron, who had younger parents, 
she they would stay and party all night. See? Wow. But Ron's dad would just take him home. Just take mm-hmm. him home. And you were a mother figure to the kids who were on that show, and I'll say kids, meaning Ron Howard and Aaron Moran and, and Donnie Most and Anson Williams. They were um they were they were kids at the time and yes. it seems from what I read from their comments, they looked to you as they would to a mother. Yes, and because I'm not aware, I I, always, I was always so careful with my life. Uh, so un, without my knowing it, I was a very good example. I was a very good example. Well, clearly you were. Tell me about I, I was Aaron. careful with my life because I could see, <laughs> I could see, Ooh, what the other girls were doing, and I would yeah. think, oh, 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 not good, yeah. not good. And then now they're all gone. You see, they're all gone, and I'm, I'm still here. And you're still here, and you're still here. Now, you mentioned a little bit ago that you were 23 years old when you, I guess it was with Noel Coward, you were 23 years old and breaking into the industry. Is that older than what typically happens for young women no 23 no that yeah. was that was about it that was about no. right okay. that was about right all right um and Aaron no, i'm of sure course. some do i'm sure some of them do start younger but 23 mm-hmm. of course i was already married i got married when i was 21 how about yeah. that so yeah uh, that helped protect me from you know, being out there. Yes, yes. You naturally had an insulation. Because you were married, there was an element of insulation, I guess, that I picked up from one of the stories in Oh, absolutely. Where also, could stand up I was, yeah. I also, they could sense that I was very ladylike, I was very well brought up, that I would, it would be a waste of time. Mm-hmm. Why don't you go after one of those other girls, you know? I think you'd do better. <laughs> they, they figured out they'd do better than with that. <laughs> go away, go away. <laughs> oh that's funny Henry Winkler Henry there was a, a challenge uh, tell me what your take on Henry Winkler I know you were very oh, kind you know Henry like and I were probably the closest of anybody very close very close friends because Henry if you know him do you know him at all no no we if don't never met him no well he's no I have he's, not it's Inside, he's a real actor. You know, he's a real actor's soul in there. He's a very vulnerable person in there. You know, mm-hmm. and and so, um, it's, did you watch any of his special that he did recently? I did not. No, no, we missed. Because we, he, mm-hmm. he and these, these they've, the four of these guys traveled all over the world. You know, mm-hmm. and did these funny shows, and they were funny, but. <clears throat> Henry's got an awful lot of class, and he's a, got a lot of sex appeal, and he's just uh, just a, a lovely, lovely guy. Yeah. He's one of my best friends. I picked up in your book that there was a point when the Fonz suddenly catapulted onto the scene. He had a slow... You know, I'm having trouble hearing you, sweetheart. Okay. Um, okay. And is that Are any you better? on the mic and everything? Okay. No, I'm not on a mic. I'm on a phone, <laughs> which okay. makes it... Yeah makes it increasingly okay. difficult but with Henry okay, Winkler when okay when the Fonz came on the scene and started growing very rapidly in popularity it sounded like he w- 
was viewed as eclipsing some of the main characters, that he was coming out as a shine instead of Richie or instead of Mr. Cunningham. How did you handle that on the set? Wow, that was remarkable because had Ron, you know, Ron could have left the show or Ron could have, they, the, I think Paramount wanted the Fonz to have his own show, but he chose to stay within the Happy Days family, mm. which was kind of a smart move in a way. So, yeah. um, and I think Ron being so smart, he got in his contract that whatever the Fonz got, he got. So it was equal pay, equal billing. But and then, and then the, he just held his own very well because yeah. Henry Winkler walked off with that show in his pocket. It, it was just incredible the character that he played. Um, did Tom Bosley have a difficulty dealing with Fonzie's personality as a character? No, he didn't at all. It, he did not, and it was no, okay Tom, for him to. And, and Tom yeah. is a very very smart man. And he, yeah. he, and he's, and and he felt pretty equal to the boys, you know, very equal. So. Mhm. Okay. Now, Fonzie's first name was Arthur. Yes. Tell me how. Tell me how that played in because you were the only one who could call him Arthur. How did that come about? Yes. It's it's charming, isn't it? Charming, you know. So yes. it, it made us very special. It was a very, very special relationship between uh, Mrs. Cunningham and Arthur Fonzarelli. So, uh, How did it, it come sweet. about that you were able to call him Fonzie? I don't know. The I'm writers, sorry, the writers did yeah. it. Plus, they could see they could see the relationship between the two of us on the set. Uh-huh. You know. And, yes. Uh, yes. It was so cool because, listening to you. Because Henry, talk. I don't know if you've met yeah. Henry, but Henry has a lot of sex appeal. He does a lot of sex appeal. He's a tremendously attractive person. So well, it was very easy for me to be in love with the Fonz, too, with uh, Arthur. Yeah. Uh, that, is, that is cute. It, it was so natural that you were the one who could call him Arthur. He was just so yes. cool around everybody else, but no. oh, Mrs. C., <laughs> And he would melt, and he would melt, yes. Yes, yes, yes. And you're right about sex appeal. Even that came through. Of course, he was so hot with the girls on the show that yes. um, it it was a projection of sexiness, but you could tell as a person that he was a very warm, outgoing, desirable person. And very, now, very charismatic. You know, either you have it or you don't, and Henry Winkler really does have it. And, and yeah. he, they taught him... Because he's an Eastern boy, they taught him how to pitch with the softball, and oh, we gee. we would travel all over the United States and play softball. Uh-huh. And then Scott Bale came along, and and they started to train him how to play ball better, uh-huh. and he became a sensation wow. with the girls. Now there was an outtake of you and the Fonz that apparently really tickled have, the you audience. Have to keep you were in front of a live audience. Go ahead. What, darling? Uh, the the outtake of you and oh. Fonzie. That I'm, I'm losing you. The, the, the outtake the, the outtake between you and uh, and the Fonz, do a certain... Yes. 
certain outtake. Yes. Did you see that? Yes. Yeah, Patricia did see that. Yeah. He was because he was always sort of kissing me all the time, and so in this scene, uh, he, the Fonz, we're going on a trip, and Tom is there, and the Fonz is helping me on with my overcoat, and. As I turn my head around, he kisses me, and then as I talk to Tom, and then I turn back, and then I, and then I, this was a rehearsal. This was, thank God, this was rehearsal, but it was being filmed. So then I turn back, and I kiss him on the mouth. Then I go back and talk to Tom. Then I go back and kiss Henry, Henry on the mouth. Well, the audience got, got very quiet. They got very quiet. <laughs> So then we, and then it all broke up, and it was very funny. But wow. anyway, we had that bit of film. Wow! You still, do you have it in your private collection? No, it was. It's been used a lot. They use it. It's, it's an outtake. Oh gosh, I never saw that one. That one I have to keep my eyes open it's, for. Maybe it's yeah. on YouTube. And, and also, what was so funny was Tom looked so mad. Ah. Looked mad. <laughs> was he? Was he really mad? I, yes, it was, he was, it was really mad. So, he really was so. mad. <laughs> oh, you, God. Stole the, you two stole the spotlight for sure. But we did. Yes, oh. yes. How about Donnie Most? Donnie oh, Most. my God. Donnie yeah. Most. Donnie, in fact, now Donnie is going around all around the country, and he is a, 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 a singer. He sings because he, mm-hmm. he loves to sing all this Mac the, Mac the Knife stuff. He's great at that, and um, and so he's he's wonderful at that. He's going he's going to New York, and and going to do something in a nightclub somewhere, singing. Super. And he's a very wonderful, inventive, wonderful young actor, Donnie Mo. He's, now he's, he's now he's a grown up man too. Yeah, he seems very vivacious, and he has a lot of yes. energy. Is that a good yeah. take? It is. Oh yes, I'd, absolutely. Donnie and, Most, I have. Go ahead. Uh, and a very good athlete, very good ball player. Really? Uh-huh. Oh, interesting. What position did he play on the team? I think he played infield. You know. That's a hot spot. You know, like shortstop. You've got to be. You've got to be in the in the infield. You've got to be quick. You know. Yes. yes do you play indeed. softball? I do not. I don't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> I, I have my own mitt. I have my own softball shoes. I got, you know, I would, I would on Saturdays. Like some of my neighbor ladies would come by, and I would say, oh, I, I have to go to ball practice. <laughs> oh my oh, gosh! Make so, me what laugh. position did you play? Rover, which is an extra, an extra position in the infield. Uh-huh. But I could hit really good. I could hit Ooh. really good. You know? Oh, my gosh. So, you were ferocious. Oh, gosh. I want to make sure our listeners know that Donnie Most was Ralph Melf on the show, the red-headed one, um, who had a wonderful sense of humor. And he's got a wonderful voice, but he oh, was a wonderful singer. Yeah. And so is Anson Williams, and they couldn't have yes. two singers on the show. So yeah, they they it, wanted to. Yeah. Anson wanted to sing more, but they would tell him it's not about you singing. You know. Yeah. <laughs> Get over yeah. it. Oh, Donnie, I don't recall that Donnie had very much singing opportunity. That Anson no, he was didn't the on the show. But in real yeah. life, in real life, after after we closed down, he would uh-huh. he does he he does these little musical 
gigs everywhere yeah. all the time. And is, is he touring alone? I think so. Not part of a group? No. Hmm. That's interesting. Now, Anson Williams, uh, as I just mentioned, Anson was Totsy on Happy Days, and he, he very frequently had an opportunity to sing, especially when the kids uh, no, but, got together yeah. at Arnold's. Yeah. Just once and in a while. Yeah. Um, his, his comment was, she's calling her, but this is about you, she's calling her book My Days. Well, I think there will be people who read this book whose days will be better because they have read about Marion's days. That's what Anson said. Nice. How yeah. nice. Well, he, they, of course, they all treated me with such, such respect, and, and it was wonderful. Yeah, and and I I must say that our softball teams kept us to, together. That was Gary Marshall's uh, device. Uh-huh. It gave him a it gave him a softball team, and it kept us together. Tom didn't wow. play. He was uh-huh. he was our announcer, and, and but um, it, it was a, a what an interesting device, huh? Yes, indeed. I mean, really, and that's a, you run off some of your energy there too did tom bosley play no he didn't he was our he wanted to be sports announcer he'd do the sports announcing oh cool that is really cool because Tell me he was happy. from chicago and and uh-huh. he wanted in life i think wanted to be a sports announcer before he uh-huh. before he got he got the part of fiorello when he was only like about 27 years old and went wow. straight to broadway started on broadway wow. That's incredible. Oh, my gosh. That is really incredible. Tell me about the Happy Days Ranch. Well, it's a farm, Happy Days Farm. Oh, That's I'm sorry. That's what I call it. Silly Not, me. I'm, I knew that. There's a difference. Yeah. Yes, there is. <laughs> Tell me about so it. I have, I have two acres here. How about that? And I, I always joke, I always say, you know, I, I have every penny I ever made, you know, being a Scottish yeah. girl who was raised in the Depression where I had nothing. Yes. Now I have saved every penny I ever made. So Happy Days Farm is just perfect. It's just wonderful. I have everything. Isn't that nice? Do you have, do you have anything planted? No, not really, but we have a, a, a lot of fruit trees, orange trees and um, fruit trees. I have a tennis court. We have a bocce court. We have a green a field to play ball in. Um, it's uh, you have to come Perfect. sometime. It's really nice. It, it sounds wonderful. It sounds wonderful, Marion. When you were first breaking into the industry in Hollywood, especially, you ha- you were a single mom. You had two children. How were you juggling all of that? Well, that wasn't right at the beginning. It was. Uh, it was That's when. It was when I was. In my late 30s that all of that oh. happened. Wow. Wow. I couldn't believe I'm... it. I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe. I was such a hot shot. I couldn't believe I was ending up like that, you know? Yeah. So I rented a any... room out in the house. I I just I had to squeak by. So I had to squeak by. And you raised and two I did kids. It, you know, and, and I did And they're it. wonderful. And you told us a little bit about Ellen. Tell me about Jim. Your son, Jim. Well, Ellen, 
Alan is younger than Jim. Jim is very, very creative. He's a very good artist, in a, and he can do impressions of everybody. He's a very good actor. Alan was oh. a little more private. She's three years younger, more private. Mm-hmm. Then she decides to become a television writer. My gosh. I, I don't know. I never, I never helped my children. All they could see, yeah. they could see that it was very hard to do, very difficult. So, Ellen, so she ended up starting on Friends. That's your first job. You're going to start on Friends, (laughs) like a a very beginner, and worked her way up. And now she is creating a brand-new television series over for ABC, and I don't even know the name of it. um, We're very close, but I stay out of their business. And, and she doesn't tell me anything, but I know that she uh, she is like me. She is like me, and she's and she's tough like I'm tough. You know, isn't that nice? If, if you had to describe yourself in a single sentence, how would you do it? Uh, I'm a tough woman who is basically a people pleaser. <laughs> All right. It's kind of a bad thing to be a people pleaser, isn't it? Excepting that you please a lot of people. Except, yes, and sometimes you put your own happiness on the shelf when you're trying to please other people. I understand yeah. that. But and it also, works for you. And in the long run, it works for you. Yes. I was just going to say, based on the comments that I read about you, your your calmness and your willingness to be a go-to person for people was part of the magic of the show. Yeah. You made things happen. Tell me one tell me a war story. Well, it's funny, Happy Days we didn't win all kinds of awards. We we never did, you know? Why? uh, What happened? I don't know. We just were not in that category. We I think we were appreciated more after even we were over, you know, the fact that we're still there and we're still mm-hmm. still running and people still want to see it. But yes. we were not, I, I don't know, we just never won, won the big awards. And, are you uh, collecting, and this is very personal, you can tell me to go to my room on this one, are you collecting residuals for the reruns? Oh, yes, I still am. Good. It's, okay. And I must say, they're very, they're very little now, but they were very, very good for a long, long time. And we never sold our residuals. We kept them, yeah. Ah, very good. Very, yeah. If you had sold them, what kind of a, what kind of a uh, price would you have? I can't think of anything else but the word price. What kind of price would you have gotten if you individually had sold your rights? Well, you you don't you don't own them individually anyway, you know. Right. So, um, <clears throat> I think it was um, more profitable not to sell them because they went. It's continued on and on, and yeah. uh, it's still running somewhere, you know. So. It certainly is, and I I'm so happy when I come across one of the episodes, Marion. What should I have asked you? Uh, are things that people generally ask you? That I should have. <laughs> I I can't do, I can't do your job for you. You know you've well, asked I me know a lot, that. and I'm, I'm not a person. I'm not a person that has a lot of secrets or or mystery. Um, 
But what I like to think, I like to tell anybody that you can follow your dream. If I did it, you can do it. I think the fact that I had a Canadian mother who, who, who motivated me so much, you, you have to be convinced that you can do it. Mm-hmm. And, and you have to be hungry. You have to want it. How badly do you want this? If you want it badly enough, you could go get it. How about the industry today? How receptive is it to newcomers who are trying very hard to to make an inroad? Well, I think it's God. I think it's it must be easier now, isn't it? I mean, isn't everybody that everybody's an actor now all of a sudden, right? <laughs> and there's so star. many shows. I yes. I don't know that it's going to make. It's not going to be the star maker, is it? Like, like in the, when you think of the old days of the big studios, when I was at Paramount, they were in the business of turning you into an, an, a star. Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. So that's, that's kind of gone, and that's a shame. Yes. Yes, it is. And the way the movies are distributed is baffling to me. You'll, you'll get one day in a theater, and then you're looking at a different movie. No, and, and the mystery and the aura of being what, what a movie star. And, and, and I don't know how, how old you are, but we used to look at the movie magazines. The movie magazines were wonderful. You know? Yeah. So now all, all you get is you get gossip and stuff you don't want to know. Oh, gosh, yes. Yes, the supermarket checkout. Absolutely. So, Marion, I loved talking with you. This is just such a treat. And I want to make sure people know that your book is available on Amazon at Amazon.com. Where else is it available? Oh, I would I would think, I think, I hope Barnes & Noble, you know. Okay. The bookstores. Right. So the, the brick and mortar and Barnes and & Noble and... Amazon, yes. and both I guess have. everywhere, everywhere books are sold. And I hope you enjoy it, and I've got good pictures in there. And I, uh, I did enjoy it. Uh, we have been talking with Marion Ross, Mrs. Cunningham, Fonzie's Mrs. C. <laughs> she has written a book, My Days, Happy and Otherwise. It is available at Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com. And if you put it in a search engine, I'll bet it'll pop up in two or three other places as well. Marion, I am just so happy that you were able to spend time with us, and I hope we didn't overstay our welcome. Well, I had a wonderful time talking to you, Dolly. Have a, have a, a lovely evening. You and, too. And the rest of have a know, have a happy Easter. Happy have a happy and have a safe All right, trip. Thank you. The same to you, dear. All right. Good, good night. Good night, Marion. Good night. All right. We're going to put on a little music, and Patricia and I will be back uh, in a second. So stand by, everybody. Here is a little Perry Como as we get ready. Wanted someone who kissed me. And held me closely Then stole my heart Wanted someone I trusted Who gave no warning 
we'd ever part She was last seen Hiding out in someone's arms He knew nothing Of the danger in her charms A jury may find her guilty But I'd forgive her If I could see A signed confession That she's repented And really wanted no one but me and we should be getting Barbara. Hello, Barbara. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good. And Patricia, you're still Bubbles. there? There she is. Bubbles. <laughs> oh, hello. Hello. How are, this is Barbara, my sister, and she has a treat for us tonight. This is our poet laureate, and she has a poem for us. How long did it take you to work on this one? I think we lost Barbara. I need to call her back. But uh, hold on. I think we got Dave on the line. Dave, are you still there? I'm right here. Yeah, Dave came. Hello, Patricia. <laughs> I I just stopped laughing. <laughs> I just don't think that Marion thought she was on the radio. <laughs> oh, yeah, well. <laughs> what, she, what she said is in her book, so... <laughs> well, yeah, in the book. Um, okay. You know, she, she just... When you're 89 years old, I guess... <laughs> it, it's sort of... I wouldn't... You know, as soon as she started telling the story, I thought, oh, please don't, please don't, please don't. <laughs> and she did, she did, she did. <laughs> Oh, yes. Um, yeah. Well, I said to Walden, I have a feeling the rerun is not going to be unedited. Probably. Well, Bill Black always has a rule. He said whenever you have a live guest, uh, standards are just a little different because you never quite know what's going to come out. So. That's true. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> yeah, but you don't well, like from Mrs. C. I know. <laughs> Mrs. C, yes. Good old Mrs. Are you familiar with Happy Days? Did you watch Happy Days, Dave? Oh, sure, yeah. I'd, uh, I'd actually met the fun when he came to Providence. Oh, yeah, I was a big fan. Yeah. Sure. You know, yeah. I'll tell you one nice story about Harry Winkler. Um, he was at the Pacific Pioneers last year. No, I think, yeah, last year. And before, and you know, I was a stranger, people he wouldn't know. And let's say 300, 400 people. For, he went to everybody's table before the, and shook hands and thanked them for all for coming. I think that's a pretty, because it, it was an award for him. But I thought that was a pretty classy act to go go to every table to welcome everybody to come. Uh, Very nice. To Very a nice. That's a pretty nice thing to do. Yeah. I, your, your interview tonight, though, did remind me. I. I interviewed the woman, and her name's, um, I know you'll know the name, Walden, I can't. She played the mother in A Tree Grows in Brooklyn. Oh, yes. I'm good. Okay. Yeah. I, I had to, and, anyway, I was interviewing her on the air. She was in a play in Providence, and she and I, we were interviewing her to, to promote the play. And she was quite, old, quite elderly at that time. And 
I, I asked her a question like, like Patricia does. I said, well, can you tell me about so-and-so, about whatever it was? And she said, well, I'd rather tell you when I see you. Give me one second here, and then I'll put that you to find uh, one thing. Patrick, unread messages. Barbara Applet send. Invite enter. Leaving menus. Unloading. Jo- can't oak enter. I thought I would get. I thought I would get Patricia's sister back. But go ahead, back, Dave. You, so, what did you tell her? Did you tell her that I'll see you next week? Or how, how did you know that? Well, she, she. I just think she thought that she was talking to someone she was going to see next week. I mean, I, she, she, I just don't think she quite was on the page. And, it, and I, I just said, okay, well, good, I'll look forward to doing that then. And I thanked her and terminated the call because, you know, um, it was just funny to me. Um, and I, and tonight I was in shock. I think you had Mother Teresa do something, you know. <laughs> So anyway, but I just wanted to congratulate you because it, it's well, make me while I make you from now on sound like goody two shoes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm a goody one shoe, and don't forget it. Yeah, all right, well, God bless you all. Talk to you later. All right, Dave. Thanks Thank so much. Good Do we have Barbara back? We, we, do. Do. we got we got disconnected. I don't know. Were you were, were you not being a good little girl or something? Why did he dick? Let's, let's <laughs> I was talking to you, and all of a sudden the phone went dead. I know. I know. Let's blame it on Walden. Okay. Okay. <laughs> send, send me, send me, you can send, Barbara, you can send me and Patricia a bunny rabbit with chocolate. So that's, that's our rule. Oh. oh, no, I'm going to keep them. Oh. <laughs> Oh, boo, yes. <laughs> I just love chocolate. I am a chocoholic. Okay, you love chocolate more than Patricia loves chocolate? I don't I don't think so. I think we're about <laughs> running the same. Okay, okay. I eat it until I get sick. Okay, okay, there's yeah, a good... that's me too. Okay, there's a good... Tr- What's the best chocolate in the world, Patricia? Dark chocolate, any brand. Okay, Barbara? Bubbles? What? What's no. the best chocolate? Milk Hershey's chocolate. has a really, yeah. Hershey's has a great dark chocolate. Now, Patricia and I were having a conversation before the show, uh, mm-hmm. Barbara, and we're gonna we're gonna take a family survey. If you got okay. a chocolate bunny rabbit, <laughs> what do you eat first for Easter? The ears, of course. Uh huh. I agree. And it broke my heart every time. You nail the ears. <laughs> That's the most accessible. <laughs> yes. And they're also solid. The ears are usually solid. The rest of the bunny is hollow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's yeah. why you, you get good munchies with the ears. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I love it, love it, love it. Well, this is my sister, Barbara. She has hello. done an, an hello, another creative poem for us and you have touched on a couple of subjects what have you touched on well easter of course uh-huh bunnies uh-huh baseball uh-huh um april fool's day 
Okay. Wow. Uh-huh. She did it. She did it, well wow. then She did the whole thing. I'm proud of you, Barbara. All right. Oh, oh thank you. Right. I, I mean, it, it was a special request, was it not? Yeah, I said, I already got your next assi- I already got your assignment already picked out for the next one. <laughs> Another one? <laughs> of course. I got your I got your calendar picked out for the whole year. Oh, good gravy. <laughs> okay. Okay. Are you ready we are for this introducing, one? This is the poet laureate of Yesterday USA. That's right. Bubbles. Bubbles. Uh-huh. I'm going going okay. to put you on speaker as usual. Okay. Okay. All right. Here did we he, go. Did he call? Did he call the bubble speakers? Okay. Hold on. All right. Okay. Okay, we're on speaker. Perfect. Okay. Okay, here we go. It was the night before Easter, and the bunnies <laughs> were tired. Big ones, small ones, and some wearing crazy colors that splattered. Spring is in the air along with Easter and baseball and the flowers that bunnies love to sniff best of all. They all play through the grass and around the trees. But this time, there is a special meeting with the Easter Bunny, big as you please. He has gotten much too old to hop to each room, even when sunny. So he has called this meeting to appoint a new Easter Bunny. The eggs were about to be colored with all new shades when the little bunnies were hushed. Big guy looked around at all the rabbits and saw that the babies were perky and brushed. He smiled. Spring has sprung, and along with it comes Easter, flowers, baseball, and April Fool's Day. What person or bunny could not enjoy all that brings smiles and flowers then into the month of May? The little ones had been busy coloring eggs and baseballs, too. An April Fool's joke to play on the ball players who are without a crew. The big guy had to decide who could take on the task of Easter Bunny and fulfill all that is required. A new Easter Bunny was to oversee and prepare for all that is desired. He chose a special rabbit that knows what needs to be done. A rabbit that all others, especially the little ones, looked up to has won. George is now known his brand new name, Easter Bunny, to all that believe. He's ready to deliver candy, Easter eggs, chocolate bunnies for for little ones to retrieve. Spring is a reminder of flowers, Easter eggs, and, a, and an occasional colored baseball. When the colors start to fade, the ball season will be over and will be well into fall. So please leave George, oops, I mean the Easter Bunny, a carrot, all his hard work, and happy Easter, happy spring, a fun April Fool's Day, and batter up. Update, Jack Rabbit, the retired Easter Bunny, after having his fur fluffed, his whiskers waxed, and buying a multicolored pair of flip-flops, is relaxing in a cabana 
with a tall glass of carrot juice in the Bahamas. He is enjoying the beach and a much-needed and overdue rest right beside Santa Claus. (laughs) (laughs) I like like that. That's cute. George, (laughs) I love it. So everybody yep. in Bunny in Bunnyland knows that his name is no longer George. <laughs> That's right. Can you read me the first two lines again, Barbara? I missed that. I missed the two, first two lines. Could you read the first two of your poem? What you mean the tw- the whole poem? The, the first. The two first. Lines? Yeah, the first paragraph. Could you read the the opening? I missed the opening line on that That's one. The first couple of sentences. Yes. It was the night before Easter, and the bunnies were gathered. Big ones. Small ones and some wearing crazy colors that splattered. <laughs> All right. Good job. That was good. That was a good job. Good job. So what's your next assignment, Walden? Well, I'll leave. Should you and I negotiate? Should we do one uh, for April fifteenth, or should we do it for May? What What do you prefer, Patricia? You better ask the Poet Laureate. Poet Laureate of Yesterday USA, would you like to take on income taxes for April 15th or Mother's Day for May 13th? I'm ready to go to the Bahamas with the old Easter Bunny. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you can't go because we don't have the money to send you. The only thing we can do for you is give you a title. That's right. (laughs) Okay. Um, Drat. Well, you can think about which one you want to do, and just let me know, and I'll pass it on. That's right. You, Patricia, well, Patricia, Patricia, will be my agent. She, she, uh, okay. she, she is my agent and your manager. So you either you can do it on income taxes for two weeks from now, April fifteenth, or Mother's Day, or, Mother's Day, May thirteenth. Let's shoot for Mother's Day. All righty, okay. you got Mother's Day. That gives you five you know, weeks. That I gives you five to, weeks. Yeah. I would like to interject one thing. Uh-oh. Um, Mother's Day, I have the best kids in the whole wide world. So are you going to write about your kids? And We're not there on? yet. Pardon? So are you going to write about the kids? No, I'm going to write about Mother's Day. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. I might, I might throw the kids in there. <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Well, thank you for the entertainment. The bunnies are adorable. Well, I'm so glad that you enjoyed. <laughs> Me too. May you have night. a good night, and I'll, I'll talk to you tomorrow. Okay. Love you guys. Happy Easter. We love you too, love Barbara. You too. Take care. Okay, bye bye. Bye bye. All right. You like to talk to the bunny rabbit from Florida? I, I have one thing to say before we even go to phone calls. Okay. We also are in the middle of Passover. Passover started last night. That's what I was wondering. I haven't and looked up. That, w- yeah. I didn't I didn't get a chance to see when Passover started. So it did start last it, night. Oh. It started last night. And so we are into the seven days of Passover. And we wish all of our Jewish friends happy and healthy Passover. Our Jewish family members. Absolutely. So. Uh, uh-huh. We and love you all. Yeah. 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 Okay. You can give out our number if you promise to do all of the numbers. 714 545 
2071. That's a one yep. at the end. And we have some incomplete is... business. Uh-oh. Okay, well, first of all, uh -huh. you want to go over your incomplete business, or you want to go over my stuff? Oh, you can go over your stuff. I don't have any stuff. <laughs> well, my stuff Except is... My stuff is how to refrigerator. That's what I. That's what I want to know. That's our unfinished business. Oh we good. Never finished it. Oh yes. good. Okay, Carl, hold on for one second, and we'll have Patricia go over her her incomplete business report card. Go ahead, Patricia. I don't have a report card. Oh. I just haven't finished getting one in the refrigerator. <laughs> so you want to go you over that? Dig out all of my notes, huh? You want to go over that now? No, I, I want to talk to our caller. Oh, okay. Hello there, you're on with Patricia. Encore! 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 I agree, Dan. I agree, Dan. <laughs> bubble, the bubble, the poet lawyer yesterday. Did, did Patricia, did you ever knew you had a poet in the family? No. This never a, did. This was the undiscovered talent, huh? Uh-huh. Wow. And you're the writer of the family, and she's the poet lawyer of the family. That's pretty she good. she is the poet, right. I think she's a keeper. I, I, I think we're going to need... What are we going to title her book? Poem? <laughs> po poem by Bubbles? Come up with that. <laughs> we are talking with Dan in Indiana. How clobbered did you get with that storm system that moved through? We've had... Everything from rain to snow to wind to just about anything you could think of. It's supposed to snow Sunday and then be 76 on Tuesday. Mm. That's amazing. So, yeah, yeah part, parts of Louisville got 11 and a half inches of snow, which mm -hmm. I think it's the 10th uh, largest snow in March, and the fifth largest snow in the spring. Wow. Uh, we're talking about the one that happened last weekend. Mm -hmm. So, but, uh, yeah, we, you know, we, we, we've had quite, we've had about a 80 degree swing in temperature here just during the first couple months of the uh, year here. Yeah. That sounds like a recipe of getting sick to me when you have that severe of a water shift. Yes, yes. We, uh, we've had, uh, we set a record high in February of 82 degrees, and on the 5th and the 2nd day of January, uh, it was down, I had negative 6 at my house. What? Negative six. Negative. Outside your house? Outside the house. Yes. There's a there's a National Weather Service uh, station that keeps track of the statistics, and I found it online. I went and zoomed in. It was close to my house, and I thought well, that is close. That's over in the next cul-de-sac. Dan, do you feel sorry for me? That is close. 
Dan, do you feel sorry for me? I don't know what you're talking about. I have no idea what the minor sex is. <laughs> this is pitiful. You're, you just haven't had enough life experiences, Alden. <laughs> you know what? You know when your dad said, you know when your dad said he walked to school both ways uphill in the snowstorm? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Both ways uphill, That's, right. Mm -hmm. we, we, we call that spring here. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, you poor guy. You poor guy. Well, nah, it's, it's okay. Well, what's in the refrigerator, Don? Dan. Dan, what's in the refrigerator? You know, I was just trying to remember what had been guessed before, and uh, yes. I don't remember. Let, yeah, lettuce and salad dressing and cheese, and there was something else, Walden. Ol olive oil and soda pop and water and no. peanut butter. Dan, do you keep your peanut butter in the refrigerator or out of the refrigerator? I keep mine in the refrigerator. I do too. But as you can tell, <laughs> as you can tell things probably wouldn't stay as Things are probably uh, not stay as well uh, kept on the uh, just the pantry shelf here as they would be maybe in you know a more stable climate. <laughs> now another thing, my mom does, and I I sort of shake my head that a lot of times at Costco, and I'm asking the same thing. You when you buy bread, it now comes with two loaves. She'll uh -huh. she'll freeze the second loaf of bread. Uh -huh. Would free we. We, we would freeze our bread, you mm. know, it, just to have, you know, extra mm -hmm. bread, you know, to keep it from yeah. molding here. Because mm -hmm. as much as the temperature swings here, the mold, the uh, humidity also is a problem. Well, guys, you know what? what you, also, I think another problem would be with the humidity factor, it could keep the kitchen clean. From bacteria and things, you, you know, you, if mm -hmm. you chop up fruit and vegetables and things, you would want to make sure you keep that all spot and clean before any bacteria starts growing with humidity. Oh, sure. You know? Mm-hmm. Yep. That's right. That's right. So, yeah, we, what, what's been your temperature out there? Are you in the 60s? Uh-huh. We're in the 60s. John Roy had 82. I have my sweat sweatshirt on at 60 degrees or so, you know, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm toughing it, you know. Yeah, well, I, yeah, really. You know, I, 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 I'm sorry, everybody should give pity to Patricia and I, because we live in the cold climates of Florida and California. Yes, yes. Right, I think you need to relocate. <laughs>
to the mid-70s, and then over the next weekend, it might be back to snow again. Mm-hmm. So, if you don't like the weather, just wait. It will change. It'll change, sure. Manana. <laughs> I was hoping you might take... I was hoping you might take calls. I wanted to say hello to Mrs. C. I think originally, uh, Patricia and I thought we might not be taking calls. Then we get we were we were uh, before the, the, the publisher gave us a limited amount of time, and uh-huh. so I did not know we would have. But she granted us a little more extra time. So, but originally, Patricia and I thought because Patricia read her book, and I just do it with some stuff that. We probably want to get to, so it, that was just my call, everybody. So I'm sorry. I bet we can get Million Ross back on and take calls some another time down the road. But I just thought, considering uh, we just had a she just got her book come out what this week, and I knew we had just a small limit of time. That's why I made the call that way. So I'm sorry, family, but that's what I decided to shoot for. And Patricia, and Patricia did a great job. Thank you, Patricia. Thank you. You did a great job. She was fun. Yeah. She was a lovely lady. I always finish up with a question, what should I have asked? That I, <laughs> I did. <laughs> I'm not going to do your work for you. That's, that's the first time I've ever heard that one. Not, I'm not, yeah, that's, I've that's never new... got that answer yeah. before. <laughs> not ever. Not ever. So. Well, before we tonight. I'm going to say good night to you. And I'll see you next time with um, time with uh, Mary and Ross. Sure. You do, Dan? Hi, Dan. So then we have an open call. Uh, um, let's see, listening just heard Marianne. Uh Richard Jersey just an email pick up the phone and call in got exactly um Walden? Yeah, Dan, I know Patricia breaking up, but hold on. Okay, I, I wasn't sure if it was if you were hearing that too. Yeah, I, I was hearing it I thought it was straightening itself out for a second, but no. Yeah. Is it a buffering issue? Yeah, I think it was a buffering issue, but I think she's starting to come back. Before we oh, let you yeah. go, before we let you go, Dan, you want to guess what's in Patricia's refrigerator? Uh, gosh, that's a very good question. Um, let me think now. Um, I, I'm gonna say bacon. Bacon, Patricia. <laughs> No. Oh, well. No bacon? No bacon. Everything tastes better with bacon. Oh, that's too bad. Yeah. Well. Oh, well. All right, man. I know Patricia's still a little bouncy there. Oh, well. You sure? Maybe maybe she's... Practicing for being rabbit. Yeah, she's being a good rabbit. There you go. <laughs> she's bouncing all over the place. That's right. All right. Oh, hey. All right, Dan. Happy Easter, everyone. Happy Easter. Take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. Now she's back.
Hi, Bunny. Are you still hopping around? Nope, you're good now. Huh, it was Dan's fault. <laughs> it was Dan's fault. Okay, Rich in New Jersey. I have an email from him. I know he's awake. Good. You have seven minutes, Rich. Give us a call. 714-545-2071. Oh, buddy, Rich. Yeah. 545-2071. Hello there, you're on with Patricia. Thing. This is Greenberg. This is Rich calling from New Jersey. Rich, how are you? Rich from New Jersey, you heard us. I did heard you. I did. You did hurt us. We're all breaking up all over the place. You're the one who sounds good. I do sound How are you? Years of practice. I, a professional good sounder. <laughs> how are you doing? I'm lovely. It's amazing. I, I think I mentioned to you by email a few weeks back that I would be singing in a cabaret, which was two weeks ago. Oh, uh, how did it go? Oh, uh, it went very well. There were several people in the audience, at least a uh, hundred, and to the best of my knowledge, at least none of them walked out while I was singing, so that was good. So what did you sing, Rich? What, what did you sing? Well, uh, we tortured uh, uh, Paul Simon's Homeward Bound. Okay. And uh, in addition to that, which unfortunately the mics weren't in good position for that one. Okay. Sound tech was kind of marginal. I'll send Patricia the, the link on that. Okay. And I also did an, an adaptation of Irving Burgey's Jamaica Farewell to honor my parents. Oh, my goodness. Oh. So instead of Jamaica Farewell, it was Morocco Farewell. Ah, <laughs> oh, of course, cabaret, silly me. Yes, so uh, down the way where the nights are gay and the sun sails oh, the mountain tops, uh -huh. I took a trip on a flying ship, and when I reached Morocco, I made a stop, etc., etc. Uh, it went yeah. very well, very well received by the uh, audience. So, so how did you wind up? Uh, how did you wind up performing at the cabaret? There's a backstory. How did they all come together? Uh, I've been a choral singer for more than twenty years. Wow. This was part of uh, the same organization where I sing currently. Uh -huh. So uh, they invited members of the organization to come in, and those who wanted to volunteer their talents and me, <laughs> talented, <clears throat> took full advantage of the opportunity to torture the audience. And this is the third year I've been doing this, and it's a lot of fun. And uh, I had the pleasure of singing with two very talented people, a a wonderful guitarist and cantor named Elon Momber, and another wonderful guitarist, a gentleman who is also a dentist by the name of Mark Cantrowitz. So it was quite an honor to share the stage with the two of them on both songs. Now tell me the rehearsal times for a performance like that. Uh, rehearsal is easy, since most of it was me being lead. I got to sing uh, as much rehearsal as I needed in the most advantageous room in my home, <laughs> that, of course, being the shower. <laughs> don't waste water now. <laughs> no, no, but, you know, it's an amazing thing, the echo of the shower tile. Oh, I know. And the, the reverberations are wonderful, yes. My, my dad, when my dad walks around in the shower, he, he'll sing, Toreador, you know, that sort of... <laughs> <laughs> Very ambitious piece of music to sing. I, I, for one, wouldn't attempt it. Uh, I, I hear it in the back of my mind. Da, 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 dum, 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 dum. Yeah, that's... <laughs> so, 
So what would you what what would you sing for fun in the shower, Rick? Are you are there a go to song for Rick? Um, there are many. I am a very devoted fan of the late Paul Robeson. Mm. So I I'm often tempted to sing songs of Mr. Robeson, uh, like Josh put the battle of Jericho, oh, yeah. Jericho, Jericho. Oh, gosh, yes. You know things. Oh, his voice was for, uh, for that one. Do you ever do Old Man River? Uh, I can't do justice to it. <laughs> I, I don't have that deep, resonating voice oh, yeah. Robeson was so well yeah. for. Uh, but I have tortured that in the shower, for sure. Uh, one of my personal favorites is uh, something called By and By, which he sang in duet with uh, his piano player and arranger, Lawrence Brown. Mm. And it's not the one that apparently is very popular in churches. This one is, Oh, by and by, by and by. I'm a gonna lay down this heavy load, etc. Wow. And I don't want to torture your audience. No, that's beautiful, Rick. Uh, well, that's very good. Well, year, years of practice. Perhaps someday, Walden, you and I will get together. You on the piano, me. Uh, there you go. Yes, and Pollyanna over there. Oh, sorry, Patricia. Did I give away something? <laughs> what? <laughs> Pollyanna, my. Pollyanna. <laughs> <laughs> what? No, no, never mind. I am Pollyanna. You are indeed, and you admitted earlier this evening in your at the conclusion of your Marion Ross interview, <laughs> extreme innocence and sweetness, which uh, brings a grin to my chin, a smile to my eyes, twinkle in the size, and uh, whew, what a surprise! <laughs> anyway, I'm not going to stay on the phone long because we can we can chat by email. But I again wanted to wish everyone a happy Easter. Happy Passover, Rich. I thank you. during the Christmas holiday, you know, when when Rich is not working till 4 o'clock in the morning or some crazy thing. Uh, I haven't been working much, but I do still stay up till 4 in the morning. There's something special, or as I like to remember what Clint Eastwood said in one of his movies, yeah. you meet a better class of people in the dark. <laughs> With that, I wish you a very fine holiday. I like that. And we say a big as in, and good health. Good health, Rich. Alrighty, be Take well. Thank you. Right. Bye-bye. 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 What a neat guy. What a beautiful voice, too. That was very yes. good, Rick. Yeah, he I, I, does. Wow. He does have a very beautiful voice. Wow. Well, so, it's midnight for the bunny doing? rabbit, so, but the bunny rabbit, the bunny rabbit will, will duck out fairly soon, but it's just, it's up for her when she decides to duck out. So, just want to be aware that the bunny rabbit knows her schedule. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Hello, you're on with Patricia. Hello, you two. Hello, Celeste. Hello, Celeste. Well, you to tell you a quick happy Easter. Good interview. Good, good interview. Wasn't she sweet? What a lovely lady. <laughs> Who is she? I, did, I came in kind of late. Who is she? And okay. Marion Marian Ross who played the mother on Happy Days. The Happy Day TV show. Yeah, okay. She was, she was Mrs. Cunningham. Uh-huh. And that's one thing I, I should have done, and I did not repeat it in the middle of the interview, so 
people like you who showed up late a little bit missed, and I'm so sorry. Oh, no. so All right. I I would it wouldn't have meant it. I never did watch that show, but but she did two, it was, she, she did two she did two movies. She did the Gwen Miller story, and she did Teacher's Pet. I never say that, uh huh. Yeah, and she did Teacher's Pet with Doris Day and Clark Gable. So she did she's got a little movie background with her too. She did uh, what with with Clark Gable? And she did Teacher's Pet. Oh yes, I remember. He's going back to school. And yeah. Doris Day's the teacher. By the way, everybody, Doris Day will on Tuesday celebrating her 96th birthday. Isn't it? Oh, gosh. a party at her hotel. She owns a hotel uh-huh. uh, called the Cypress Inn in Carmel, Cal. So let's throw in a little big party. She might not uh-huh. be there, but she, this for her 96th <laughs> yeah. birthday. So. 96. Yeah, so happy you birthday. You know, when Rock Hudson became ill, she was so good to him. Yeah. They had made all those movies together, but I mean, a lot of people back then didn't want to bring out that illness, but she plowed straight ahead and was just so good to him. Yeah, yeah. You know, she's a, she, Doris is a good soul, you know. Yep. She had some. She had some very tough marriages that then. Oh, I tell you, she, any lousy guy that came along with Les Brown, she married. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was the one thing that people scratch her head. But the poor, all the, the tough marriages she had. But besides that, yeah, she had a good one. Then she married Marty Melcher, and he made her work every day of her life. And then when he died. He left her in terrible debt. She had to do a TV show. She didn't know about it either. She never yeah. knew about it until he passed away. Oh, definitely. Yeah. 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 But we did because he came here often because he owned part of a hotel where my husband worked in, in the band. And mm. Marty Melcher would come in all the time to check on his investment. But I think they all went flop and she got stuck with it. <laughs> Bless her heart. Anyway, well, Patricia, this was wonderful, honey. I really enjoyed your interview. And this is the way I take it that you can do a good interview. If I just happen to pick up the, turn on the uh, uh, program and you're talking and you're interviewing somebody and I'm beginning to catch on to what it is and what it's about and see, I knew all that by the time you got through. Aw, thank you. I mean, as I wrote, as I wrote to our publishers, I think Patricia is a world-class interviewer. She's one of the very she's best. Very good, and she, she, what I'm saying is, you're so good that even if I picked up a little bit late, I still knew about what the interview was about, and and it was interesting. Oh, thank you. Well, it's such fun uh, talking with somebody like her. Uh, well, happy. Hippie, hoppy, hoppy, happy. <laughs> hoppy Easter to you, too. <laughs> uh, oh, Walden, are you going to play Ray Breen tonight? I, I was going to do some Easter shows tonight. Uh, so I, I was going to do The Greatest Story Ever Told and some some Easter programming. That's sort of what I had uh, lined up for, for tonight. Oh, okay. Yeah. Well, I'll catch you another night. Okay. Okay. Next week. Okay. Next week, I promise we'll play Ray Breen next week. Bye-bye. All right. Thank you, my dear. Good night, Celeste.
what, what we're going to do when Patricia ducked out, we're going to go into the three-parter, the greatest story that's ever told to talk about the last few days of Christ on Earth before before the resurrection. And so it's, it's a really good part. It's, it's done in 1947. It's a three-parter. And of course, if you think about it, it's amazing. The greatest story that was ever told was on radio, I think, for nine years, from 47 to 56. And Goodyear's, I think, yeah, with Goodyear, sponsored it but never did a commercial. Mm. They, they get, you know, they get and introduced the company at the beginning, but they never did commercial, yeah. they never did commercial time. Like CBS used to do. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, well, I am all wound down. All right, my bunny rabbit. Have a wonderful Easter tomorrow. Find find some chocolate eggs and some bunny rabbit ears or something. I hope. I hope. I hope. Good night, everybody. Happy Easter and have a blessed Passover to our Jewish friends. We will be back next week. Good night, Walden. Good night, Patricia. All right. And here goes Patricia. And it is uh, seven minutes after nine o'clock here Saturday night, March thirty-one, year two thousand eighteen. Let's say a prayer, dear Lord. Thank you for the opportunity being here. Bless our wonderful listening family. Look after Patricia. Look after our members who might be in hospital, or nursing homes, or recovery centers. Bless those who are. Going through some trial and tribulation in their life, maybe financial, spiritual, emotional, Lord. Look after each one of them. Help and bless our men and women in the armed forces. Thank you for their service. Thank you for our police and firefighters who serve our wonderful country. We ask this in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Alright, let's get ready for the greatest story ever told here on Yesterday USA. Jaws Professional Easter Easter I Windows M Desktop Folder View List View My Documents When Enter Documents Items V Easter Enter Easter 2 Luma 25 48 Amos Ave Babies Burns Canute Chamber Chester Costa Comic Week Couple Next Couple Next Easter Seal Peretti Can't Everything Explore Fibber McGene Autry Great Gilders Great Gilders Great Gil, Greatest Story 4704060111 The Resurrection Greatest Story 490 Greatest Story 50 Greatest Story Ever Told 4703230009 The Betrayal Seat Greatest Story Ever Told 4703300010 The Crucifixion Greatest Story Ever Told GSET 4704060111 The Resurrections Jack Benny Greatest Story Greatest Greatest Story Ever Told 4703 23009 The Betrayal C. Unloading Jaw. Can't. OK. Enter. Easter. Items view multi. The greatest story ever told. 
Tonight we present The Betrayal, the first in a series of three Lenten dramas, The Betrayal, The Crucifixion, and The Resurrection, based upon episodes in the greatest life ever lived. The city of Jerusalem is crowded today, for not only is this the beginning of the great feast of the Passover, but the master is expected. And preceding him has come the strange and inspiring story of the raising of Lazarus. High on the city walls stand the most curious, looking down as the procession of dusty travelers enters the city gates. So many people, David. I've never seen such a crowd in Jerusalem before. More than a million people, Stephen. All to greet the master. And they're all carrying palm leaves. Why? Is that him? The one on the donkey approaching the gate now? Yes, Stephen, it must be. But how do you know? I thought that he would look like a prince. A king, even. It's his eyes... Can't you tell by looking in his eyes how calm and understanding he is? And I thought he would look like a king. My mother said you'd never find such peace in a king's eyes. The donkey's going through the city gate now. Come to the other side of the wall. We'll see how the people inside the city greet him. Palms. They're spreading the palms before him. I've never seen that done before. Well, no one has ever seen a day like this in Jerusalem before. Those 12 men with him. His 12 disciples. See the way the people follow him. They love him. You can see that. Yes, the people love him. But that may not be enough. Why not? Why shouldn't it be enough? You're young, Stephen. You've a great deal to learn. Perhaps you will before you're many days older. Oh, John, it did my heart good to hear them cheering the master. You could tell by their cheers that they believe in him now. Peter... Were there ever cheers for one man that didn't disturb other men? The Romans? The Romans. And those few traitors among our people who collaborate with them. It's that tight little band of powerful men who run this country and exploit our people. To them, the cheers we heard for the master today will have ugly echoes. Let them try anything. I have my sword... I'll cut out the heart of the first man who lays a hand on him. Threatening again, Peter. I'm sorry, John. We'd better get on with the preparations for the feast tonight. The master asked that all 12 of us eat the pastel lamb with him. Yes, we had better help with the preparations. But, Peter, I... Yes, John? Perhaps I'm mistakenly afraid. Forget about it. Let's prepare for tonight.
Well, Annas, did you see it? Didn't I tell you it'd happen? This Nazarene's a menace. You admit that? Yes, I suppose so, Caiaphas. You suppose so? Didn't you see it with your own eyes? This isn't just another prophet. I've seen prophets in Jerusalem streets who are looked on as beggars. This man is far more dangerous than that. <laughs> what my daughter ever saw in you, Caiaphas, I don't know. But certainly it was not your brain, my dear son-in-law. Oh, how can you sit there so calmly? This man is dangerous to us. Us, Caiaphas. I have ruled here in Jerusalem for a great many years. Seven times high priest. I made my six sons high priest. And now you, my son-in-law. But I still rule, even though you hold the empty honor of the office. Yes. I'll decide who's dangerous. Forget the Nazarene. Let this thing run its course. So they cheer him. In a week, they'll forget him. You can't put me off so easily. You may travel around under false dignity and what? deceive yourself, but not me. After all, what are we? Nothing but messengers for the Romans here. Well-paid messengers, you must grant. But go on. Your excursion into truth has fascinating possibilities. Let the people groan. Let them complain that they're slaves of Rome. We know better. There's double tyranny here. Rome is at the top, yes, but right beneath them, we stand. Caiaphas, it's coming close to the holiday eve. Forget this whole thing for a while. After that, we can talk about it if you still insist. Mm -hmm. Once the holiday is over, it may do no good to talk. You better listen to me now. Oh, well. Ah. We must be practical about this. We made our deal with the Romans. They want taxes and tranquility... And we promised to deliver that to them. And haven't we? So far. Well, then? That Nazarene. That one for whom they paved the street with palm leaves. That man is our enemy. Our percentage is from taxes. The money we make from sales of doves and lambs for sacrifice in the temple. We stand to lose all that if he's allowed to expose us. I repeat. Pay him no attention and the people will forget about him. Forget about... Did you hear what he did this morning in the temple? He overturned the tables of the money changers. And he told the people that they don't have to buy doves and lambs from us for sacrifice anymore. No more sacrifices? No. Our whole business endangered? No. That's going too far. Maybe you're right. Just as I say, we must get rid of this Nazarene. Well, what do you propose? Huh. I've done more than propose. You've taken steps? Of course. Well? This. Bag of silver? What for? It's simple. Don't <laughs> smile. Talk. Among 12 men, any 12 men, there must be at least one who's vulnerable. Is there? Yes, and I found him. How much? For 30 pieces of silver. 30? Little enough, isn't it? Indeed. And the name of this vulnerable person? Uh, the name? Uh, it's, uh... I'd almost forgotten. His name is uh, Judas. Shall I place the chalice here, John? Yes, Peter, at the master's place. The master has never made such special preparations before, Peter. I know. But we must do as we are told. Didn't we meet the man just as the master said we would? 
And when he asked the man for this upper room in his house on Mount Zion in which to have this supper, didn't the man agree without a word? Yes, Peter, but that's all part of the mystery. Why all these special preparations? If it were just for the Passover... Who is there? It's only I. May I help with the preparations? Of course, Judas. The master will be here soon. Good, I'll help with the dishes. Something wrong, Judas? What? No, nothing wrong. The plate, it just slipped out of my hand. Then you must feel it, too. Feel it? Feel what? This strange thing in the air. I, I don't know what you're talking about. I'm sorry, Judas. I didn't mean to alarm you. John thinks something's going to happen tonight. He has a, a feeling. Well, I, I can't agree with him. Please, Judas. Nothing to become so wrought up about. I'm sorry. Now, let's get on with things. Oh, here come the rest. Welcome, brothers. We are all here now, all 12 of us. Come, let us take our places at the table. And now when the master arrives, we shall begin the supper. John, now that we've gathered here at the supper, what will the master do? I don't know, Peter. I'm beginning to sense that, that feeling you spoke of. There is something in his eyes that was not there before. Wait, he's reaching for a basin. Oh. Here, master, here's the basin. And a pitcher of water. Very strange, John. Peter... He's kneeling before you. He's going to... Wait, Master, wait. Do you wash my feet? I should wash yours. What I do, you know not. But you shall know hereafter. No, Master. You shall never wash my feet. If I wash you not, you have no part of me. Then, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Master. Master. Was there ever a man who showed greater humility? And now, he is beginning to wash the feet of the others, too? Yes, Peter. If I, then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. What I have given you an example that ye should do as I have done to you. Verily, verily, I say unto you, the servant 
is not greater than the master. The master is troubled, John. What did he mean before when he said he desired to eat his Passover with us? Before he suffers, he knows a great deal more than he has told us, Peter. I've come to believe as you have. There is something evil in the air. Wait. He's saying the blessing over the bread now. He's beginning to break the bread into small pieces. Yes. And see how many pieces. How many? Wait. Ten, eleven, twelve. Twelve pieces. One for each of us. I'd better help him distribute them. This is my body, which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. But, Master... Eat, Peter. The chalice, Peter. He's reaching for it. Fill it for him. Yes, John. It's blessed now. Take it. Pass it for each man to drink. Yes, John. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you. I say unto you, one of you which eateth with me shall betray me. Is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? Behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. Judas! Did you see? Judas' hand. It was on the table. He tried to remove it quickly and knocked the dish to the floor. Wait, Peter. Judas, he's going. That which you do, do quickly, Judas. We should stop Judas, John. We must. Wait, Peter. If the master had wanted Judas stopped... Wouldn't he have said so? But you heard it just as I heard it. He said that Judas was going to betray him. Can you object if the master doesn't? Oh, John, John, this is wrong, all wrong. We should do something. We should do what we've pledged ourselves to do. Follow the master's words. Wait, Peter. All ye shall be offended because of me this night. For it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. No, Lord, no. Whoever may be offended because of you, I will not. I will go to prison with you. I will even go to death with you. Believe me, Master, 
believe me. I say unto you that this day, even in this night, before the cock crows twice, you shall deny me three times. No, master. If I should die with you, I would still not deny you. Not in any way, master. Not in any way. That must be the one I'm expecting, Annas. Well, let him in, Kurt. If we must do this, let's have it done. You still don't believe this is the right way? Do you? Uh, I'd better let him in. Well, come in, come in. Annas, this is the man I told you about. The only one of the twelve that has any sense. Let's not have so much talk. What's the matter, Judas? Nothing, nothing. Only what we have to do, let's do it quickly, just as he said. Who said? No one. What do you want me to do now? Tell us where we can find him. I will take you to him when it is dark. Well, how will we know him in the dark? I will point him out to you. How? How? I don't know. That was part of the bargain. Well, he... He will... I don't know. Oh, well, I'll tell you how. You'll go to him and uh, kiss him and greeting. Yes, that's it. I'll do it. The soldiers will be there? My own personal guard. And it's done. And here's your money. Now, get out. Ah. See how easy it is? Picked one with a weak stomach. Did you see his face when you tossed the coins to him? Well, tell me, Annis, what kind of a face should a traitor have? A traitor? Well, it might be a smiling face. Even a laughing face. With no creases in the forehead. That's a traitor for you. Well, why are you looking at me that way? How else could I describe your face so exactly? Yes, well, you've had enough fun at my expense, but one of these days you'll thank me for this. Do you realize, Caiaphas, that if you carry this thing through, you'll have innocent blood on your hands? Afraid? Everyone's afraid except me. Sometimes it takes a certain amount of courage even to be afraid. <laughs> a glib excuse for cowardice. Caiaphas! I was ruling these people even before you were born. I know their temper. I know how far you can go with them. And more important, I know how far you dare not go. That man must be destroyed. And what excuse will you give the people when it happens? We won't give them any excuse. We'll confront them with a fact and make them accept it. You can't argue with a fact. An enraged people can change facts. Oh, nonsense. If the man is dead, he's dead. Nothing can change that. And if he's dead, will our people stand for that? He has healed their sick, made their blind to see, raised their dead. They love him. Yes, and that's why he must go. Have you thought of the mob that will form in front of Pilate's palace before this deed can be done? Oh, mobs. You're getting old, Annas. What do you mean by that? There'll be no mobs. Tomorrow, when they all go seeking him and don't find him, they'll want to know where he is. They'll suspect some trickery. They'll go to Pilate's palace and demonstrate and you know how Pilate hates crowds of people in front of the palace. Listen, by tomorrow, this whole thing will be over. You have thought this out. 
haven't you? Indeed, I have. Before dawn, this thing must be done, finished, complete. If it's to be done at all. You can't do that. You know you can't. I know I can. Pilot must condemn the man to death. He will. Why? The people will force him to. The people? Are you mad, Caiaphas? Well, who are the people? A handful of men. Ten, twenty, fifty. How many people make up the people? Oh, what sort of stupid question is that? Such a time as this. I will supply the people. The same people who welcomed this man into Jerusalem today, the people who love him. You think they'll turn against him now? No, but Pilate need never know that. The beggars, the fools, the drunkards, the crooked, they'll be the people before dawn this morning, and I will hire them. You'd have him caught, tried, convicted, and sentenced to death before morning? Yes. To hold a trial at night and on a holiday is illegal. You can't. Do it. I've already issued the orders for the judges to assemble at my palace. John. Yes, Peter? Why here? Why has the master brought us to Gethsemane? I don't know. He seems to know that he will die. Everything he has said and done this night shows that. And if that is so? What did he mean that he would rise again and go before us into Galilee? You will have to wait and see. And when he said that I would deny him three times before the cock crows, that can't be. He knew about Judas. I won't vouch for anyone else, John. But for myself, I know what I will do. How could I ever deny him? After all he's taught me, after all he's shown me, could I deny him now? If he said it, it will happen, Peter. It won't. I tell you, John, it won't happen. I'll never deny him. Lower your voice, Peter. The others sleep. I'm tired myself. It's been a long day full of strange incidents been that. And now the master kneels off there by himself. Why, John? He's praying. Praying to his father against the hour of suffering he knows will come. Then we'd better not come back. We may disturb him. If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Peter. Huh? Oh. oh, Master, forgive me. I must have fallen asleep. Could ye not watch with me one hour? Forgive me, Master. John, John, we've fallen asleep. Wake up. Wake. Wake? Yes. Was I asleep, Peter? We were all asleep. John, do you hear? Marching feet. Yes. We'd best lead the Master away from here. Come, Master, come with us. We'll hide you, keep you safe. Please, Master, this time come with us. Rise. Behold, he is at hand. That doth betray me. 
John, what shall we do? What can we do? I have a sword with me. Don't use it, Peter. Would you offend him now? Oh! Look, Peter, in the flickering light of the torches. Soldiers. Yes. John, look who's with them. Judas. Judas, indeed. But the master stands his ground. He doesn't want to save himself. He knows it is the will of his father in heaven. Well, go on. He's coming forward toward the master. Don't draw your sword, Peter. Not now. They won't take him. I tell you, they won't take him. Guards, surround them all. Go ahead, Judas. He's kissing him. Hail, master. Friend, wherefore are you come? He's the one. Seize him. Wait. Don't put a hand on him. The first man who reaches out to touch him will feel this sword in his throat. Peter, put up again thy sword into his place. For all they that take the sword shall perish with the sword. But, Master, no. Please, Peter, do as he says. Don't take him without a hand reached out to help him. It is the way he was. Surround him. Lead him off. Hut! Master. Oh, Master. Keep marching! Jaws Professional 1. Greatest story ever told. Easter items view mo- Greatest, greatest story ever told. 4703230009 The Betrayal Sea. 
Greatest story ever told 4703300010 The Crucifixion Greatest story Jack Benny Greatest story Greatest story ever told 4703300010 The Crucifixion C Enter <laughs> The Greatest Story Ever Told. Tonight we present The Crucifixion, the second in a series of three Lenten dramas, The Betrayal, The Crucifixion, and The Resurrection, based upon episodes in the greatest life ever lived. Our scene is Jerusalem, and it is dark. Most of the people sleep. To them, it's like any other holiday night, and they sleep peacefully not knowing what goes on in the palace of Caiaphas, where the prisoner, Jesus of Nazareth, is held by guards. There, a group of judges has been assembled, called together hurriedly by Caiaphas himself. But outside, the disciple Peter stands silent. His face is drawn, his eyes reddened by tears. He's startled suddenly by the voice of a young boy inside. Please, sir, what's going on in there? Why are all these men here in the middle of the night? Quiet, boy. What is it, sir? I heard the chariots tearing through the streets in the middle of the night, so I slipped out of my house to find out why. I'm trying him in there now. The master? Yes. But why? I fear him, that's why. Why should anyone fear him? Because what he teaches would put an end to tyranny. He would expose the traitors among our people who collaborate with the Romans. Most of all, I suppose, because our people follow him. That's why they fear him. Oh. And they're trying the 12 men who were with him, too? The 12? No, they're trying them. Aren't they as dangerous as he is? I'm afraid not. They say the same things he says. They don't have his courage. Don't tell me that. I saw them only this afternoon. When they came into the city with him, they looked strong and courageous. And especially the one named Peter. He's big and strong and... Quiet. I'm sorry. Did I say something wrong? Don't talk so much, boy. Yes, sir. Are they in jail, then? Who? The twelve who were with him. No. No, none. They're not in jail. And don't ask so many questions. Yes, sir. I still don't understand why they're not Because they ran away. All of them. No. Be quiet now. I'm trying to hear what's going on inside. You know the one called Peter? He looks so In strong. heaven's name, be quiet, boy. Yes, sir. Thank you.
You see, Hannes, I promised you it would all be arranged, and in the dead of night. I seem to have underestimated you, Caiaphas. Well, now that you have him here, try him. Get it over with. Don't worry, I will. There's a great deal to do before dawn. I'd better start the trial. Judges, we are gathered here in this emergency session because this is a case which calls for unusual and immediate measures. We'll have the prisoner brought in. Guard. Is this the prisoner? It is. Then we won't try him. Well, who are you to say? I am Joseph of Arimathea. By virtue of my standing, I am a judge of this court. And I say, you have nothing against this man. Allow the case to be presented first before you judge. I know why he is here. Because he is a friend of the people. And you fear that he'll open their eyes to what you and your father-in-law have been doing for so long. If that's his crime, I say, set him free. Place yourself on trial. As long as authority is vested in me to convene this court, I will run matters here. I say this man stands charged with great crimes, and I have witnesses to prove my charges. I don't doubt that. You have a way with witnesses, Caiaphas. Why is this man being tried in the middle of the night? Why not wait till morning? Why not give the people of Jerusalem a chance to hear this man and the way he is being judged? Oh, a good question. Well? To uh, hold this trial in a city full of thousands of people who have come here to celebrate the holiday and who might have been exposed to this man's teachings might cause much uh, unwanted difficulty. Are you afraid to face our people with this act? Because it will expose you? You come close to treason, Joseph. There's treason here, yes. But the treason is yours. You commit treason when you steal out like a thief in the night to try this man and condemn him behind the backs of the people of Jerusalem. That's treason against the people. Let their voices be heard. Gentlemen, gentlemen, we have not come here to debate, only to accomplish one thing. The trial of this man. The trial will commence. First witness, step forward. Can you hear anything, sir? Quiet, boy. Do you think they will find him guilty? Oh, no. Is it true what I heard? They're trying the master in there now. Yes, it's true. My father is one of the judges. They woke him in the middle of the night to come here. So I decided to follow and find out why. Quiet, girl. I know you. You talk too much, be quiet. But I do know you. I think I've seen you before. With him. You don't know what you're talking about. I'm sure of it. You were with the master. That's right. I recognize him now. You're, you're the big, strong man, the one they call Peter. Quiet, both of you. You don't know what you're saying. I don't know the man. But I'm sure I... Quiet. I swear I, I don't know the man. But you are a Galilean. What difference does it make where I came from? Don't talk so 
some of the others to hear you. But all his friends, the ones who came here with him, they are Galileans, aren't they? Stop babbling, son. But I'm sure that you are. Why do you torture me this way? I tell you, I, I take an oath that I do not know the man. Now be quiet. But I only asked I've you. told you three times I don't know him. I... Leave me alone. Why don't you leave me alone? What's wrong? He was crying. Yes. I were a big, strong man like he is. I wouldn't cry. Not ever. Very strange. Dawn. Pretty soon it'll be dawn. Is this the last of your witnesses? Yes. And on such testimony, you ask us to convict this man? On the word of witnesses who contradict each other? Who are you that you've appointed yourself this man's defender? I am a judge of the court of Israel. And it is my duty to see that justice is enforced here. Shall we take a vote now on whether this man is innocent? Yes, set him free. No, no. There's no guilt proven here. I don't think we even need take a vote. You have heard the verdict of the high court. Now, wait, wait, wait. There's nothing to indicate that this trial is over. How can you judge if you haven't heard all the evidence? Will we have to sit through more of this testimony from bribed witnesses? We, uh, we will uh, recess for a few moments. Venice. Venice, what, what do we do? I told you. You fool. Did you think you could force this court to convict an innocent man? Well, I, I, I thought they'd welcome the chance. This has turned into a mockery. And if you had any doubt as to how the people of Jerusalem would look on this, you have your answer now. Oh, those witnesses are very bad liars. You expected to fool these judges with prepared witnesses. Are you out of your mind? Justice is a tradition in Israel ever since Moses handed down the law. And you seek to destroy that feeling for justice in this farce of a trial. Well, sh shall we dismiss the court? Shall we, shall we send them all home, set the man free? <laughs> You're in so deep now, you can't back out. What would happen tomorrow morning when this becomes known, as it must? The man will be a greater hero than he ever was. What I warned you about. Now you've done it. Now, please, Annas, now, please, help me. Don't forget that you're in this as deep as I am. I've never been unaware of that. There is a way. There is a way? Yeah. Well, what way? Tell me and I'll do it. One other witness. The witnesses have failed. The one I have in mind won't fail. Who is it? The Nazarene himself. What? Yeah. 
Didn't he say only this morning that the temple would be destroyed and that he would rebuild it in three days? Ask him if he thinks he could perform a miracle like that. Better still, ask him if what the people say is true. Is he the son of God? His own answers will convict him. You mean blasphemy? Finally, you understand. Well, get on with it. We've wasted too much time already. Yes, but... Don't argue. If he admits it, that will take the decision out of the hands of the judges. Once he pleads guilty to blasphemy, the judges' hands are tied. They must convict. Yes. Now hurry. Yes, Sanus. Very good. The trial will resume. You have found another witness, perhaps? Not perhaps, Joseph, indeed. We will call the master himself. You'll take your place as a witness. Caiaphas, what information do you seek to extract from this witness? We will find out what he has been preaching. Do you have to ask him? Why not ask those of us who've heard him preach in the temple? We know what he said. There may be more. He's never preached in secret. What more can there be? If there is no more, then the witness has nothing to fear. Now we'll begin the examination. Nazarene, you've said many things. Some I've heard you say. Others have been reported to me. It's about these things that I would like to examine you. I ask you, are you the Christ, the Messiah, sent to save the world? If I tell you, you will not believe. I ask you again, are you the Christ? Ye say that I am. I ask you once more, and this time I expect a direct answer. Are you the Son of God? Are you the Christ? I am. I tear my garments in accordance with the law. This man has blasphemed in my presence. Now there's only one verdict which you can hand down. Your decision is dictated by the law. It is Caiaphas. I come to see Pontius Pilate. He's asleep. Well, then wake him. This is urgent business. Wait there. You see, Annas, this will all be over before the people have roused, just as I planned. Don't be so sure, Caiaphas. Don't forget, we've tried this man for blasphemy. Yes, and he was found guilty. For Pilate, that will not be enough, you fool. He'll only act on political crime. But don't worry. I've thought this out. I'll handle this. Come in. Pontius Pilate will see you in the great hall. Uh, no, don't lock the door. The guards are coming. They're bringing a prisoner with them. Yes, sir. This way. Ah, Pilate. So sorry to have wakened you in the middle of the night. Come in. Come in, Nanus Caiaphas. Must be important if it brought you here at this time. Oh, it is. It is indeed. There is a sentence of death to be passed. Death? Who? Why? The one called the master. He's guilty of blasphemy. 
The court found him so. By his own confession. Then deal with him in your own way. Wait, Twilight. There's more here. A crime against Rome. That's your responsibility. What do you mean? The man sets himself up to be a king. A king? He claims to be the Christ, the leader of the Jews. There is only one king for Israel, and his name is Caesar. Who is this man who claims to be a king? Bring him in, God. Fetch him at once. Yes, Your Excellency. We'll see who sets himself up to be a king in this territory of Rome. Huh. A king, indeed. Yes, and he has many followers. Now, how would it look in Rome if you were faced with a people who disclaim that Rome rules here? This thing must never happen. I'll stop it. Pilot, what is all this shouting in the middle of the night? My dear, I thought I left you sleeping. Gentlemen, my wife. Good morrow. Did you hear, my dear? The one they call the master. Now he's a king. That man? Oh, Pilot, have nothing to do with that good man. I'm governor here. I make my own decision. After all... Please listen to me, all of you. Before I was awakened, I had a dream. A dream? Does Rome rule by dream, Pilot? Wait, listen to me. I had a dream about this master. What sort of a dream? I... I don't know. I can't remember. Please, my dear. Alice is right. I cannot rule by dream. But I tell you, I had this dream. It was about him. Well, what happened? I forgot. But I ask you to have nothing to do with this man. What do you know about him? Nothing. It was just that dream. Then you had better go back to bed, my dear. This is a job that calls for a man's mind. Please, Pilot. This is men's business, my dear. Please, leave us. Yes, I'll go. But if only I could remember that dream. Dream. Well, I'll examine him myself. Here he is, Your Excellency. The prisoner. So, this is the one they call the master. Looks mild enough. Not at all like a king. <laughs> Ask him yourself. Indeed, I will. Tell me, are you the king of the Jews? Well? My kingdom is not of this world. Your kingdom? So you do hold pretensions to being a king. Are you a king, then? Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. What is truth? Well, answer me. What is truth? No answer, but that look in his eyes. Why do you accuse me with such a look? Take him away, God. Yes, sir. Come with me. Well, Pilate, that's the man. What are you going to do with him? A strange man. And that's where your trouble lies, Pilate. My trouble? Of course. When a man like that has so many followers, he's dangerous to Rome. And if he's dangerous to Rome, he's dangerous to you, too. What can I do with him? You, um... You have the power to put him to death. Hmm? What about the people? Oh, they'd approve it. Don't worry about that. But you say he has many followers. Well, there are, there are. But there are more people who would want to see him destroyed. It is something to think about. It might be a way to make up for other mistakes. Dennis, please. Let him talk. I know I've made mistakes. And didn't we help you out when you did? 
When the people were ready to send a delegation to Rome to complain because you insulted the temple by putting images outside of it, who was it who persuaded them not to complain? You did. Then take my advice now. Put this man out of the way. But how will I know if it's what will satisfy the people? Let them make the choice. Huh. I see. An excellent idea, Anna. Excellent. We will let them decide. Yes, and do it at once. There's a mob outside the palace gates now. At this hour? Of course. All right. I'll do it. We'll please the people. I'll offer them one prisoner to be freed, as is the custom at holiday time. This man or one other. Now, let me see. Who shall it be? Ah, I have it. The revolutionary Barabbas. The people shall have their choice between the two men. Come. God, silence the crowd. Quiet! Quiet! The representative of Rome wishes to be heard. In accordance with the custom whereby the ruling power in the land grants amnesty to a prisoner on this holiday, I am going to submit to your approval two men. You shall choose which one of them shall go free. The other one shall be put to death, crucified. God, lead out the two prisoners. You have done your work well, Caiaphas. Where did you ever get such a mob as this together? Oh, it was very simple. A few coins, some wine, a promise here and there. The whole thing was arranged. There is no doubt as to how they will choose, is there? If I wanted to deal with doubt, would I have assembled these beggars so carefully? Mm. What's that? The prisoners. Look at the master. He's been beaten. Scourging is a refinement of Roman justice. And who put a crown of thorns on his head and that purple robe? Soldier's idea, no doubt. But don't be too concerned. This will work out just as you plan to quiet. Now, and now you will have your choice. Here are the two prisoners. This one is Barabbas. You know of him, a revolutionary. He has even killed to throw off the power of Rome. And this one is called Jesus of Nazareth. He claims to be a king. Well, now. Which of these two prisoners shall I give to you to be set free? The people have chosen. Turn Barabbas free. Here, I'll take your chains off. Go, Barabbas. You are free. And this one, sir? This one? What shall be done to this one? Crucify him! So be it. And he will carry his own cross to Calvary. Any other orders, Excellency? Bring me a pitcher of water immediately. A pitcher of water? Here, Excellency. Pour it over my hand. I am innocent of the blood of this just man. See to it yourselves. Now, get on with this thing. Yes, Excellency. Bring out the cross. Yes, sir. The cross. Place it on his back. Yes, sir. It's done. Now send him on his way. Down the road to Calvary. Uh, 
John. John, see how he struggles along. Yes. How he suffers. Look at his face. How did he bear it? Wait, he's falling. I'd better... You there! Help him up! Carry that cross the rest of the way. All right, Roman. I'll help him. If we could help him, John. We... We can only follow now. To the top of the hill. Between two thieves, John. Yes. And in the sight of his mother. How she suffers. If we could only comfort her. Comfort her? In this moment of her greatest suffering? She can't speak a word. What can she say? Now that a sword has pierced her soul. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Amen, I say to thee, this day thou shalt be with me in paradise. Woman, behold thy son. Behold thy mother. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? I thirst. It is finished. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit.
Greatest story ever, greatest story ever. The greatest story ever told. Tonight we present The Resurrection, the third in a series of three Lenten dramas, The Betrayal, The Crucifixion, and The Resurrection, based upon episodes in The Greatest Life Ever Lived. Outside the gates of a Roman palace in Jerusalem, the palace of Pontius Pilate, there is now no hired mob. Only one man approaches the gates, and the guard challenges him. Who goes there? I am Joseph. Of Arimathea. I have come to see Pontius Pilate. Matter of life and death, I suppose. That's what they always say. This is a matter only of death. It concerns the burial of a man. That can't wait. We'll see. Sergeant of the guard. Man who calls himself Joseph of Arimathea wants to talk to His Excellency. Says it concerns the burial of a man. What shall I do? Have him wait. We'll see. You heard? Yes. I'll wait. Mm. Hey. Did you hear about the excitement this morning? Yes, I did. Crazy, isn't it? Man getting himself killed over a few words. You know, they'd have let him off if he'd only said he didn't mean it. Yes. Imagine a man dying for words. Why? What's it get him? Something you Romans haven't discovered yet. Hmm? Maybe not. When I saw him staggering down that road, carrying that cross on his back, I said to myself, there goes a fool or the bravest man that ever lived. He was no fool. You know, they don't come any braver than Roman soldiers. Everybody in the world knows that. But they couldn't get one of us to die just for a few words. Oh, sir. We've got to know what we're dying for. Land or treasure, something real, something hard, something a man can see and feel, not just words. Guard, huh? you may bring the man in. Pilot will see him. Aye, sir. All right. Come along. I'll take you to His Excellency. Oh, it's you, Joseph. Well, what can I do for you? Your Excellency, a man has died on a cross on Calvary. I would like to have his body released. You knew the man? I did. And you want to show him the honor of burying him? Why? Do I have to tell you why? I thought you hated him. I didn't hate him. I had nothing to fear from him. He was my friend. Friend? Yes. He was friend to every man who'd let him be a friend. And yet your people asked to have Barabbas freed instead of him. My people? Oh, no, pilot. 
A hired mob paid to stand outside your palace gates. A mob speaking on cue like actors on a Roman stage. They asked for Barabbas. But they told me they that... They told me. Pilate, I'm afraid as a Spanish warrior serving Rome, you're strong and cunning. But as a statesman, you're weak and innocent as a baby. How dare you speak to me that way? Since last night, I've come to dare many things. From now on, the truth will be spoken more freely in this land. For one man has shown us that it's not so hard to die for truth. Truth. Yes, I remember. I asked him, what is truth? And he answered? With his eyes only. But it was enough. Such a man deserves a decent burial. You may have the body. Thank you. How will you bury him? I have a tomb which I had bought for myself. A cave carved out of rock. He shall lie there. And the manner of burial? In the custom of my people, of course. The multitude loved him. He was one of us. How much they loved him, you'll know before long. You are threatening again. To men who bow to political expediency, any fact can be a threat. You'll find that out, pilot. Yes. You'll find that out. You sent for us, pilot. Why? I sent for you because of the way Joseph of Arimathea spoke. It had a nasty undertone. If there's going to be trouble, you'll have to patch up things or face the consequences, Anna. Wait, pilot. You can't be swayed by every breeze that blows. As for explaining this to the people, don't worry. We'll do that. But why did Joseph come here? Just to make threats? No. He asked for permission to bury him. And when you refused, he began making the threats? I didn't refuse. But the man deserved a decent burial, didn't he? Yes, after all, Anna's he's out of harm's way now. Don't you understand what's happened here? What do you mean? You suspect something, Annas? Of course. It's not the burial that's important. What do you think he means to do with the body if not bury it? Of course he'll bury it. But that's only the beginning. You've heard them, his disciples, talking about the fact that one day he would rise. Even he himself gave an inkling of it when he said... The temple would be destroyed and he would rebuild it within three days. The temple? What's that got to do with it? Everything. It was not the temple he spoke of at all, but the temple of the soul, which is the body. He meant that his body would be destroyed and that it would rise in three days. It is impossible. Uh, isn't it, Aunt? You know that? And I know that. But if the body were to be buried, and then were to be secreted away in the dark by night by his followers. They could claim that he had risen and gone off by himself. Don't you see? Uh, yes, yes. It's too late. Joseph's claimed the body already. But we can use his own plot to confound him. We can make sure the body never arises. If it stays in the tomb past the three days, we'll place a guard there. We'll seal the tomb. Place a guard? With your permission, of course. And if I refuse? Would you refuse, Pilot? I've had enough of this. I've washed my hands of the whole thing. 
I'm sick of it. Have you ever been in a storm at sea, pilot? Of course. And been a sick from time to time? I'm a soldier, not a sailor. Yes, I've been sick at sea. It's the same in this case. Sick as you may be, you're in this now. You better stay with the ship till we all reach shore. Do you understand? Joseph was right. I'm not much of a politician. All right. You may place a guard. Thank you, pilot. Now we'll go and take care of matters. Come along. Son-in-law. Yes, Anna. Captain, have your guards roll a huge rock up to the entrance of the tomb. It must be so large that it cannot be moved even by five men. Do you understand, Captain? Yes, sir. And it must cover the whole entrance to the tomb so that none can enter it, even the smallest child. Yes, sir. We'll search for the rock at once. There is no need to do that. I noticed one as we passed by on the way. Leave two men to guard the tomb. Bring the rest of them with me. We'll put the rock in place now. That enough, Hannes? Roll it closer. There's still some space between the rock and the entrance to the tomb. Closer. All right, men. Again. Good. That's fine, fine. Now remember, two men must stand guard each hour of the day and night. Is that understood? Yes, sir. It will be done. Now, Caiaphas, there'll be no false miracles here. No disciples stealing in during the dark of night and carrying off the body. It's in there to stay. All day, back and forth, back and forth. And what for? Who knows? Who's afraid of a dead man? Ah, there's some people who think it's their duty... Their duty to find things for soldiers to do. Yeah. Like guarding a stone that guards a tomb. Well, keep walking. Wait. What? What is it? Someone's coming. Get ready for trouble, Mr. Spear. Yeah. But there'll be no trouble. Look, two women. This, This is the place, Mary. He lies here. Yes. We must wait here and pray. The master, he suffered so. Well, what do you want here, woman? The master lies in there. We've come to mourn. No one is to loiter here. Is it loitering to mourn for the dead? Hey, wait, I know you. Aren't you the one they call Mary of Magdalene? I am. <laughs> When I'm dead, I don't want the likes of you mourning for me. You'll not talk that way to her. I'll not take orders from you either. Now, move on. Oh, please. Please allow us to remain here. Just let us stay for a while and we'll, we'll go soon without a word. You won't make any bargains with me. Come on, move on, both of you. Don't touch her. I'll do what I choose to do when I... Thunder. 
thunder out of a cloudless sky. Thunder. The rock. It moves. It moves by itself. tell you we saw it. Say it once more, Mary. I can't believe it. Please, Peter, she's upset. We saw it. The thunder first, and then the rock slowly rolled away. The guards were struck senseless. And then we ran to tell you, John. Oh. Please, don't weep. Can this be a trick, John? Maybe they've tried to steal his body away. Shouldn't we go and see? By all means, come, Peter. We'll go to the tomb. Oh, wait. Wait, I'll go with you. It's true. True, the rock is rolled away. Hurry, Peter, hurry. I see, John. Should... Should we go in? I... Don't know. Well, I must see. I'm going in, John. It's so dark. It's difficult to see. Feel something. The shroud. Empty. He's gone. Gone. Come, Peter. We must tell the others. We must find out what has happened here. If we can. Come, quickly. What did you find? He's gone, Mary. Gone? It can't be true. But it is. Now we must go back and tell the others. Are you coming with us? No, I'll wait here. I'll wait here. You may be in danger. Leave me. I'll wait here alone. Take care, Mary. Gone. Gone. Woman... Why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? They've taken away my lord. And I don't know where they've placed him. If you are the gardener here, tell me, please. Have you removed him from here? Tell me where and I will take him away. Mary. Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my father. But go to my brethren, and say unto them, I ascend unto my father, and your father, and to my God, and your God. 
It can't be. It can't be. Don't shout so, Caiaphas. Well, it's a trick. You want me to believe that the stone rolled away by itself? I don't want to believe it either. But but what? Short move. Short move. Oh, stop jabbering, you idiot, and get out of here. Come, come, we'll go. Thunder, rock rolling. Rolling and nobody there. Get out, get out! What kind of a trick was it, Annis? You know about these things. You know everything. Tell me. I know everything. Yes. What could it have been? You're frightened. Eh, Caiaphas? Well, I'm not frightened. I'm, I'm bewildered. I, I, I don't know what... I don't know. You don't know. After all this, now you begin to realize you don't know. You're frightened, Caiaphas. I can see it in your coward's face. Now, please, Alice, please, don't talk that way to me. Maybe I have made a mistake, but I meant it only for the best for both of us. Quiet. They ran away. All his followers ran away. Like frightened sheep. Yes, and that part worked, didn't it? Did it? Well, you look at me that way. Fool, fool, fool. What is it? Yes, they ran away. And if we had kept him in jail, they would have... Stayed away. Well, we did better. Yes, we killed him. We did better. They'll be back. All of them. In just as long as it takes for the word to travel, they'll be... Don't you realize what has happened? He's shown them that you can die with grace and courage for an idea that you believe in. And that dying that way means more than living... Any other way. It's been proven. Proven. <laughs> Alice, what is it? Listen to me. Listen to you. You wonder why I laugh. You can wonder. You, a stupid fool, risen to power through lies and dishonesty. You had a hand in proving so great a thing. History has played you a strange, vengeful trick, Caiaphas. You should complain against it, for it has placed your littleness against the greatness of this thing that has happened. You miserable, lying traitor. Me? Traitor? You betrayed a whole people with this rotten deed. But as the master himself might have said, God have mercy on you. I don't like the way you're talking, Alice. We, we can brazen this thing out. If we don't, the people will take their revenge on us. Let them. I won't fight it. For I have seen it. I should have known when Pilate asked him, what is truth? And he answered only with his eyes. He is truth, Caiaphas. And truth murdered and buried will rise. As it always has. And always will. You, you believe this? You believe what has happened? Tell me, do you, Annas? I almost... Wish I didn't.
And they spoke to me. Believe me, John. Peter, he spoke to me. We believe, Mary. And I denied him. Three times. Please, Peter, don't think of that now. You were no less courageous than the rest of us. And when he used to call us ye of little faith, I didn't know what he meant. But when danger came, we were of little faith. But now... He is risen. Risen, Peter. Will he ever forgive us for what we did? Before we deserted him, he knew and forgave. Now he sent Mary to tell us that he is risen. Come, Peter. We must gather the others. We must stand together. And from now on, we shall never be afraid again. Come. I just received the word. I came here as quickly as I could. Were you followed, Thomas? No, the city is quiet. No more guards than usual. Tell me what I heard. Is it true? Can it be true? Yes, Thomas. It is true. All the way here, I said it over and over to myself. And... And? I could not believe. Did you hear what Thomas said, John? Thomas. If he hadn't appeared to us after Mary had seen him... Perhaps we would not believe either. But we saw him. We saw him. Now do you believe? Don't all look at me that way. Is it my fault if I'm skeptical by nature? Sometimes I wish I didn't doubt so much. I do. I cannot believe unless my doubts are satisfied. But the rest of us believe, Thomas. Have I ever been like the rest of you? Wanted to be? I'm not. When he lived... He still lives, I tell you. Please, Peter, let him say it in his own way. Thank you, John. When he lived, he indulged my doubts. He explained to me. Taught me patiently. Now that he's gone, I'd be content with less. I want to believe. I want to believe. Please, Thomas. You must understand, John. I can't believe, not until I see the nail wounds in his hands, the wound the soldier's spear made in his side. Else, I will not believe. Master. Master, it is he. Master, it is you. Peace be to you. Master, Master, you know me well. I am Thomas, and being Thomas, I doubt. 
I must have proof before I believe. Thomas, reach out thy finger and behold my wounds. Yes, Master. The nail wounds. The wounds. And bring hither thy hand and put it into my side. A wound of the soldier's spear. Oh, master, master. And be not faithless, but believing. My Lord and my God. Because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen.
there are three episodes of the greatest story ever told from 1947 Easter time. Okay, let's move over to the Great Girls Weave next. So, we'll either play number 52 or 53 tonight. So, stand by. Greatest story ever told. Greatest story ever. Greatest, 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 great, great Gilders. Great Gilders of 530401490 Easter Sunrise Center. The Kraft Foods Company presents its traditional Easter program with Willard Waterman as the Great Gildersleeve. The Great Gildersleeve is brought to you, partially transcribed, by the Kraft Foods Company. Kraft, makers of Velveeta, the famous pasteurized processed cheese food that tastes so good and is so good for you. Yes, Velveeta is another of the Kraft family of fine foods. Foods you can depend on for delicious eating, for wholesome, healthy eating. So remember, to get the cheese food of quality, get Velveeta, the cheese food that's made by Kraft. Well, in the town of Summerfield, it's the day before Easter, and the great Gildersleeve's family is making elaborate preparations for the occasion. Marjorie has selected a new Easter outfit, Leroy has a new suit, and they've resolved to do something different this year, attend the Easter sunrise service. Of course, the great Gildersleeve hasn't heard about these early morning plans. It's something I've always wanted to do, Leroy. Yeah, it'll be keen. Boy, I can't wait to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning. Let's go talk to Anki. Anki! Hey, Unc, where are you? In the den, children. Are we interrupting anything? No, not at all. Just glancing through the paper. <laughs> Looking for an Easter gift for Grace and Leela. Oh? Yeah, I guess I could get them some of these two-pound chocolate Easter eggs. They're not too expensive. Well, if you want to be cheap, why don't you get them an Easter rabbit and let him lay the eggs? <laughs> Leroy, I'm not trying to be cheap. I'm just trying to hold down expenses. Easter's beginning to cost as much as Christmas. Speaking of Christmas, do you know what I want next time? Hey, Leroy, please. Now then, what's the purpose of this delegation? Well, Unky, we have the most marvelous idea. Tomorrow, we're going to sunrise service. Yeah, we're getting up at 4 o'clock in the morning. 4 o'clock? Well, have a good time. Unky! Just leave quietly and come home quietly. You mean you don't want to get up at 4 o'clock? No. But, Unky, the sunrise will be beautiful. Hey, Marjorie, I've seen the sunrise. I worked my way through college delivering milk. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to the 11 o'clock service the way I always do. And I'll need my sleep, so I'll be alert when I pass the collection plate. I don't want to drop it again. <laughs> well, of course, I can drive Leroy and Bertie to the service, but... I wish you'd come along. Oh, is Bertie going? She's singing in the choir. A hundred voices, Unc. Well, I would like to hear Bertie sing. But if there are 99 other voices, I wouldn't hear much of Bertie anyway. <laughs> hey, Bertie! Yeah, Leroy? Unc doesn't want to hear you sing. He don't. No, no, it isn't that, Bertie. But I intend going to the 11 o'clock service tomorrow. Had my day all planned. 
Very busy day. We all have a very busy day ahead, Unky. Yeah. I know Bertie's gonna be busy. Bertie's gonna sing like an angel at sunrise, then she's gonna fly home and bake the ham. <laughs> you ought to see Bertie's choir roll, Bunk. Really? Oh, it'll be a beautiful spectacle, Unky. Cedar Hill will be banked with flowers. Yes, I read about that. Well, I've been there every year, and it's worth it just to hear those trumpets when the sun comes up. It is, Bertie. Oh, Easter's such a thrilling day. And, Unky, you'll see all the beautiful women in their new spring dresses. Uh, well, if you children insist. Hello, boy, Unc. Glad you changed your mind, Miss Gilsey. Well, I didn't exactly change my mind. I've been considering going for some time. But I wanted to be sure all of you were as willing to get up at four o'clock as I am. Oh, brother. <laughs> You say, look at Peavy's window. They're all decorated for Easter. That rabbit holding the talcum powder looks just like Judge Hooker. <laughs> yeah, I think I'll go in. I still don't have gifts for the girls. Hello, Peavy. Yeah, hello, Mr. Jonasmeen. <laughs> what can I do for you this morning? Uh, Peavy, what would make nice Easter gifts for Grace and Leela? Well, Easter is usually a little chilly. How about giving them a hot water bottle? <laughs> uh, one for each, of course. Oh, no, Peavy. How about some perfume? Perfume? Women like to dress up for Easter, and a good perfume like this is the crowning touch. Sure, how much is it, Peavy? $12 an ounce. That's the crowning touch. <laughs> <laughs> well, what the heck. Wrap up two bottles. It's Easter. Very well. Planning a big day, are you? Yes, indeed. Peavy, guess what important official is getting up at four o'clock in the morning for the sunrise service? The Reverend Mr. McNair? Hey. <laughs> well, he's got to be there. I'm thinking about a fellow who's just volunteering. You don't say. Yep, yeah, taking the little family. Then I'm passing the collection plate at the 11 o'clock service, too. Well, good for you. I went to both services one Easter. Yeah, that's so? I didn't sleep the night before, not wanting to miss the sunrise service. And by 11 o'clock, my eyes were so red, I wore dark glasses at church. You did? And you know what the minister did? He lectured me for staying out all night. <laughs> oh, my goodness. But Mrs. Peavy and I always enjoy the sunrise services. Of course, it's usually a little foggy at that hour. Well, I haven't been up at that hour since I was an air raid warden. Well, you better take a flashlight. There's a tendency to bump into trees. Oh? If you're going to show off a new suit, it's well to take a cushion along. Peavy, I'm not the sort of person who just goes somewhere to show off. I'm wearing my old blue serge. Yeah, you can't hurt that. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes. It's quite a climb up Cedar Hill, Mr. Gildersleeve. Peavy, are you trying to discourage me? Oh, my, no. I consider it quite a rewarding experience. In fact, Mrs. Peavy and I would be going this year if she could stand the track again. Are you settling for the 11 o'clock service, are you, Peavy? Yeah, but between you and me and the gatepost, I'd rather get up at 4 o'clock and go with you than go to the 11 o'clock with Mrs. Peavy. <laughs> I don't follow you. She insists on wearing her new Easter bonnet. Well, what's the matter with it, Peavy? <laughs> <laughs> that bad, huh? Worse, it's one of those dove-on-the-nest affairs. <laughs> oh, 
Mr. Gildersleeve, I don't mind having people point at Mrs. Peavy's hat, but when bird dogs start pointing, it... <laughs> Peavy, it can't be that bad. No, no, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> Gildersleeve, you're ready for the sunrise service. Yeah, I wonder if I will need this flashlight Peavy sold me. Uh, who's that? Oh, the judge. Here I am, Diogenes. <laughs> judge, what do you mean, Diogenes? With that flashlight, you must be looking for an honest man, and here I am. <laughs> All right, Judge. Hop in, Gilday. I'll take you home. Oh, thanks, Horace. That's where I'm headed. <laughs> Gilday, why are you carrying a flashlight in the middle of the day? Well, I need it in the morning. I'm getting up at four o'clock. You're going to the sunrise service? You bet. Then I'm going to the eleven o'clock service. Well, you must have a new suit you want to display. Judge, you're as bad as Petey. I'm not going to church just to show off my clothes. Besides, I don't have a new suit to show off. I see. Here comes the bump, Gilday. Uh, what bumped me in the back of the head? That's my canteen. Canteen? What is all this junk in the back of your car? Thermos bottles, blankets, folding chairs, and a buffalo robe. <laughs> Judge, where are you going? On a safari? I'm taking Miss Matterhorn to the sunrise service. Will you need all this equipment? Well, you have to prepare for it. You're not just taking a flashlight, are you? Well, I... And besides what I have in the car, Miss Matterhorn is packing a lunch basket. A lunch basket? The road to Cedar Hill is narrow, Gilday, and with several hundred cars up there, it takes hours to get home. Miss Matterhorn and I enjoy the service, then spread our lunch and listen to the singing of birds and the clash of bumpers. <laughs> that 11 o'clock service looks better and better. thought it was all settled that you'd go. No, Marjorie, they can conduct the sunrise service without me. You, Leroy, and Bertie, go and enjoy yourselves. Well, I don't know why you don't go. My dear, I might not get back in time to pass the plate at the regular service. Judge says traffic is pretty heavy out there. Unky, you've just cooled off on the idea. Well, I'll admit I'm not as keen about it as I was this morning. Why? Well, Peavy and the judge nettled me. They accused me of going just to show off my new Easter suit. But you don't have a new Easter suit. You just don't want to miss out on your sleep, that's all. That has nothing to do with it. I'm staying home as a matter of principle. All right, Unky, that's your final decision. That's my final decision. I'll get it! <laughs> all right, Bertie. Hello, Bertie. Good afternoon, Miss Soto. Come in. Thank you. Well, it's Grace. Hello, Throckmorton, Marjorie. Hello, Miss Tuttle. Grace, I was about to come over and pay you a visit. Really? Yeah, I have a little Easter gift for you. Oh, that's very thoughtful of you, but why don't you give it to me early tomorrow morning? Early tomorrow morning? Uh, Leroy told me you're all going to the sunrise service. He did? 
Well, uh, uh, would it be terrible of me if I invited myself to go along? Oh, why, Leroy, Bertie, and I'll be delighted to have you go with us. Uh, Grace, I had no idea you planned to go to the service. Oh, I wouldn't miss it. Marjorie, you should see my Easter suit. Oh, I want to. It's blue pastel file with PK collar cuffs and gloves to match. Oh, it sounds darling. Yeah, it sounds great. What the heck is file? <laughs> and that isn't all. I have matching linen shoes and hat with file trim. Oh, how wonderful. Oh, brother. <laughs> isn't Easter thrilling? What are you wearing, Marjorie? Well, I have the cutest linen dress with a full skirt and a fitted top, and it has eyelet trim. Very smart. Yeah, I can see this is no conversation for a man. <laughs> oh, Throckmorton, here we are talking about our new outfits and not letting you get a word in. Well. I know you're going to be so handsome in your new Easter suit. Handsome? Well, thank you. <laughs> I like to see men dress up. You know, people don't look just at the pretty girls. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I hope you get a powder blue pinstripe. <laughs> I just love them. Well, I must go. See you bright and early in the morning, Trot. Yes, indeed, Grace. Bright and early. Bye-bye, Marjorie. Bye, Miss Tuttle. Unky. I thought you decided not to go to the service. You going after all, Mr. Gillsleeve? And why shouldn't I go? Miss Tuttle talking me into it, Miss Marjorie. She had nothing to do with it. No, sir. <laughs> I thought you weren't going because of what the judge and Mr. Peavy thought. Why should I worry about what the judge and Peavy think? I'll put on my new suit and go. You don't have a new suit. Well, I'll get one. A powder blue pinstripe? <laughs> well, I had that in mind anyway before Grace mentioned it. Yes. <laughs> The Great Gildersleeve will be back in just a minute. How do you like your eggs? Scrambled, baked, poached in an omelet? Mmm, now there's a beauty of an egg dish, an omelet, fluffy and light and golden brown. And for the most delicious omelet you ever tasted, try this popular cheese version you make with Velveeta, Kraft's smooth-melting pasteurized processed cheese food. Start by melting a half pound of Velveeta in the top of your double boiler. Then stir in a quarter of a cup of milk and keep stirring till this mixture is smooth. It'll just take a minute or two because Velveeta melts so easily, so perfectly. Then add the Velveeta mixture to four seasoned egg yolks and finish making the omelet as you usually do. When it's ready to serve, spread it with your favorite jelly. And mom, is it a wonderful main dish. It's extra good tasting because with every bite you'll enjoy Velveeta's fine, rich, yet mild cheddar cheese flavor. And even more important, Velveeta makes this omelet especially nourishing. Two ounces of Velveeta, just two ounces, the amount you get in a single serving of this Velveeta omelet, give you more of milk's vital food values than a big eight-ounce glass of milk. And you know how important those food values are to your family's good health. Cook with Velveeta often. Let this fine cheese food give you more delicious, more nourishing meals. Get a two-pound loaf of Velveeta tomorrow. Just be sure you get genuine Velveeta. It's the finest quality cheese food you can buy, and it's made only by Kraft. Well, the great Gildersleeve had decided not to attend the Easter sunrise service with his little family when one of his girlfriends, Grace Tuttle, came over and mentioned how handsome he'd look in his new suit. 
Of course, the great man didn't have a new suit, but that was two hours ago. Isn't Unky home yet, Bertie? Not yet, Miss Marjorie. He's probably having trouble finding a suit. Well, he shouldn't have waited till the afternoon before Easter. No, ma'am. <laughs> I never saw a man change his mind so fast. <laughs> Neither did I, Bertie. First he said he wasn't going, then he said he was. Then he said he wasn't because he sprayed somebody think he was showing off a new suit which he bought, which he wasn't because he didn't. <laughs> That's okay. Then he said he was because Miss Tuttle thought he'd look handsome in a new suit which he didn't have, but which he would if he had it. So I hope he gets it. <laughs> so do I, Bertie. <laughs> I don't want to be seen like this, Bertie. Oh, never mind, it's Miss Gilsey. Yeah, thanks, Bertie. What you got in the box, Miss Gilsey? Your new suit? Yep, that's right. Unky, why'd you ring the doorbell? Well, seems that when I tried on my new suit, I left the keys in it. I was excited, I guess. Well, open the box, Unky. Let's see what you picked out. Yeah, all right. If I can get rid of some of this wrapping twine. Hello, Leroy. Hi. Maybe I can help you, Unky. What's going on? I sure am anxious to see that. So am I, but what am I anxious to see? What's in there? Just keep your shirt on, Leroy. Did you get the one with the stripe? Yeah, white stripe. A white stripe? What's in there, a polecat? <laughs> <laughs> Leroy, don't be so silly. I'm not. I'm just trying to find out something. Yeah, I can't untie this knot. Where's my pen knife? Mr. Gilsley, how'd you get it so fast? Yeah, I practically had to grab it and run. Run with what? It, it still has to be let out, Bertie. Well, take the lid off and let it out. <laughs> Let's see what's in there. Yeah, there, there it is. Isn't that a beauty? Oh, it's beautiful, Unky. Ain't that something? Oh, for corn's sake, nothing but a suit? My Easter suit, Leroy. I thought you weren't going to buy an Easter suit. Well, I... Marjorie, how do you like this necktie I bought to go with it? It's very striking, Unky. It should be with those baseball bats on it. <laughs> Leroy, they're not baseball bats. It's just a modern design. And he got the powder blue suit. <laughs> you don't think he'd come home with anything else after what Miss Tuttle said, did you? Oh, so that's why I bought a suit. You want Miss Tuttle to see you in it. Leroy, that isn't it at all. There'll be hundreds of other people who'll see me in it, too. Yeah, I mean... It, uh, Bertie, you suppose you can give me a hand with a few alterations? The tailor couldn't get it ready today. Yes, sir. Of course, it's a little late, and I got to take a hymn in my choir robe. Well, I guess I am upsetting things a little. If we're going to get up at 4 o'clock, we should be getting to bed soon. Yeah, I got a lot of things to do. Well, so have I, but I'll help you with Unky's suit, Bertie. Yes, ma'am. No, let's not make a big thing of this. What we need is a little organization, and I'll be the organizer. Sure. We all have things to do, so let's do them. Bertie, you go do the things you have to do. Yes, sir. Marjorie, you and Leroy get the things done that you have to do. All right, Unky. What are you going to do? I'm going to set the alarm for 4 o'clock and go to bed. <laughs> what a character. Leroy, there'll be a lot of things to do in the morning, and I'll be up bright and early doing them.
That's all right. It's four o'clock. You said you were going to get up and start doing things. Yeah. First thing I'm going to do is turn off this alarm and go back to sleep. Where is the darn thing? Look out. You're pushing it off the table. Yo, my goodness. Make it stop. Step on the thing, Leroy. Do something. It's hiding from me under the bed. I got it. Yo. Thank you, my boy. Good night. We're going to the sunrise service, remember? Sunrise? Oh, yes. Up, everybody. Rise and shine. Marjorie, Bertie, Leroy, up. Are you kidding? Everybody's up but you. Hey. <laughs> Don't just sit there in bed shouting. Rise and shine. <laughs> further is it? Uh, can't be far. The way the traffic is slowing down, Leroy. <laughs> Such a winding road. Yeah. A little <laughs> rough, too. Hey, Grace, I hope your Easter outfit isn't getting rumpled. It's so beautiful. <laughs> oh, I- I'm fine. You look lovely. How can you tell? It's dark. <laughs> <laughs> Marjorie, how are you and Bertie doing? All right, Unky. I just hope Bertie isn't going to be late to join the choir. Oh, don't worry about Bertie. Oh, we'll make it. We'd be there now if Unk hadn't spent ten minutes tying his tie. <laughs> well, Leroy, I had to get it right. This is Easter, you know. Are you stopping, Unky? Uh, this is as far as we can go, Marjorie. Cars are all parked ahead of us. Well, let's get out and start hiking. <laughs> Unky, aren't we awfully far away? No, my dear, I'll get you there. Just follow me. I know a shortcut. We got plenty of time. There's no sign of no sunrise yet. I can't see a thing in this fog. Hey, Unc, where's your flashlight? Flashlight? Well, last night I put it right where I could lay my hands on it this morning. And you don't know where you put it? Yes, I do. It's right on the dresser at home. (laughs) Come on, everybody. Follow me. since we left the car. Well, Leroy, not many people know about this shortcut, I guess. Anki, do you know where you're taking us? Of course I do. I think. Yeah, sure. Yeah, this is the top of the hill. Right here. (sighs) This is the top of a hill? But what hill? (laughs) This don't look like Cedar Hill to me. Well, we... We came up the back way, Bertie. Oh, you certainly did. What a climb. Where is everybody, Unky? Uh, well... Hey, the fog's lifting a little. Oh, yes, you can see up here. Look, there's the choir and everybody. Where? Across the ravine on the other hill. <laughs> Half a mile away. Oh, fine. Uncle Mort, you and your shortcuts. I'm afraid Bertie will never make it in time to sing with the choir. Well, I'm sorry, Bertie. I'm very sorry. Oh, they'll get along without Bertie. 
We'll just have to watch things from here. Hey, there's a lot of moving around. What are they getting ready to do? They're going to have a pageant, Leroy, telling the story of Easter. Yeah? Well, here we are, all dressed up, and we can't be with the crowd. What an Easter. Well, Mr. Gillsleeve, there was only a few on hand for the first Easter when they saw the rock was rolled away. Oh, that's right, Bertie. We shouldn't forget that. I guess nobody there put much importance on fine clothes. I guess they didn't. Listen. They're playing music. They're getting ready to sing about the crucifixion. Oh, Bertie, you were going to sing that. Yes, ma'am. Bertie, will you sing it for us? Yeah, we'd like to hear it, Bertie. Won't you? I'd like to. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Oh. It causes me to tremble, tremble, tremble. Were you there when they crucified my Were you there when they laid him in the tomb? Were you there when spirit of Easter. Look, Unc. The sun's coming up. It's a new day. Well, that's the meaning of Easter. A new day. And new hope for the world.
Great Gildersleeve will be with us in just 30 seconds. How nourishing can a sandwich be? That's easy. A sandwich made with Velveeta, Kraft's famous pasteurized processed cheese food, gives you more of milk's vital values than a big eight-ounce glass of milk. Imagine more high-quality protein, more calcium, more phosphorus, riboflavin, and vitamin A. Let your family enjoy nourishing, delicious Velveeta sandwiches often. Remember, Velveeta is the cheese food that's digestible as milk itself. The cheese food of top quality, made only by Kraft. This is Gildersleeve again. Thanks to Bertie and the children, our little journey to the mountaintop for the Easter sunrise was a very wonderful experience. I hope that for each one of you, this Easter will bring renewed faith in the promise he gave to all of us. Renewed strength to follow his light through these days when the forces of darkness endeavor to confuse our path. Thank you all. Bertie, your song was lovely. Thank you, Mr. Gilsey. Good night, everybody. See you next week. Greg Gildersleeve is played by Willard Waterman. The Kraft Food Company's traditional Easter program was written by John Elliott and Andy White and is partially transcribed. Included in the cast are Walter Tetley, Mary Lee Robb, Lillian Randolph, Joe Enos, Mary Shipp, Earl Ross, and Dick Legrand. Musical composition by Jack Meekin. This is John Heaston saying goodnight for the Kraft Foods Company, makers of the famous line of Kraft quality food products. Be sure to listen in next Wednesday and every Wednesday for the further adventures of the Great Gildersleeve. What goes into a perfect sandwich? Maybe it's roast beef or savory baked ham. Whatever your favorite, the perfect meat sandwich needs the perfect mustard, Kraft prepared mustard. For when you add a little mustard, you add a lot of tang. You can take your choice of two kinds of Kraft mustard. Mild Kraft mustard is smooth and delicately spiced. Or if you like your mustard with extra pep, try Kraft mustard with snappy horseradish added. Keep them both on hand and keep everyone in the family happy. Next time, get Kraft Prepared Mustard. Tonight, join Groucho Marx for You Bet Your Life on NBC. The Easter Show from 1953, The Great Joe's Wave. Let's move over to Ozzy and Harriet, April of 1949. The Easter Show. Great Gildersleeve 530, Ozzy and Enter. Hello? Oh, yes, I did. Thanks for calling back. I'll tell you why I phoned. I just received a letter and I want to read it to you. Are you listening? It says, Dear Radio Friend, that's me, we have received so many wonderful letters requesting us to repeat our Easter show that we are going to do it. Wishing you a happy Easter, your good friends, the Nelson family. Ozzie and Harriet, David and Ricky. How do you like my new Easter outfit? Oh, Harriet, you look beautiful. Oh, thank you. Do I look nice enough to make a pretty speech? You look nice enough for anything. America's finest silver plate is 1847 Rogers Brothers. 
finest silver plate is 1847 Rogers Brothers. From Hollywood, International Silver Company, creators of 1847 Rogers Brothers Silver Plate, presents the amusingly transcribed adventures of Ozzie and Harriet, starring America's favorite young couple, Ozzie Nelson and Harriet Hilliard. Another Easter, with its joyful reaffirmation of man's hope, its traditions, observances, and customs. Like many other families, the Nelsons of 1847 Rogers Road have a few traditional Easter customs of their own. For instance, some years ago, on the night before Easter, Harriet remarked, You know, Easter sunrise services must be beautiful. I'd love to go sometime. Thus, a great tradition was established in the Nelson household. In fact, last night wouldn't have seemed like the night before Easter if Harriet hadn't remarked, You know, Easter sunrise services must be beautiful. I'd love to go sometime. Why don't we go tomorrow, Mom? We can get up. Sure, we can get up. Well, I know you boys can get up. Well, the only reasons we haven't made it in the past is because we haven't gone to bed early the night before. Nothing difficult about getting up early if you get plenty of sleep. Can we go tomorrow, Mom? Well, all right, we'll try it again. But I wonder if... Well, Ricky's had the sniffles all day, and you know how cold it is at that time of morning, sitting outdoors on those benches. I'll put on two pairs of socks. <laughs> I think it'd be a better idea if you bring along that heavy lap robe, and you guys could wrap yourselves up in it. Well, that's fine, dear, but where is the lap robe? I haven't seen it since before Christmas. Well, wait a minute now. Didn't Thorny borrow it? It seems to me he did. I'll go over a little later and ask him. We're liable to get hungry out there, too. Maybe I ought to fix something to eat. Yeah, that's a good idea. Some hot coffee and sandwiches. Maybe some deviled eggs or something. Oh, Pop, they won't let you bring those in. They won't let us bring what in? Deviled eggs at a church service. (laughs) Well, I think maybe we can get by with it. You can bring some angel food cake to balance it off. <laughs> Come on, fellas, up to bed. So soon? Well, of course, if you're going to get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, you got to get some sleep. Somebody at the door, Mom. We better stay up and see who it is. Hello, Emmy Lou. Hello, David. It's Emmy Lou. Come on in, Emmy. <laughs> I hope I'm not interrupting anything. I want to see what you thought of my new Easter outfit. Oh, that's very nice. Oh, you look beautiful, Emmy Lou. Oh, thank you. Do you really like oh, it? Oh, yes. Turn around let me see the back. I couldn't make up my mind between red accessories and brown. Well, I like either one with beige. The thing that decided me was the brown piping on the blouse. Yes, what kind of material is that? Wool crepe. Do you like this new short bolero? Oh, yes, and I love that jabot on the blouse. Move over here by the light. Uh, do you like the free box pleats in the front of the skirt? Oh, yes, and those extra-wide gauntlets are very smart this year. What are they talking about? Uh, It's a secret language, David. It's a game women play called Make the Salary Disappear. (laughs) Yes, you really look just lovely, Emmy Lou. It's a beautiful outfit. Thank you, Mrs. Nelson. What are you folks doing tomorrow? Well, the current rumor says we're going to the sunrise services out at Silver Lake Mountain. Are you really? Oh, how wonderful. 
Mother and I have always wanted to go, but Daddy can't get up that early. Oh, I'm sure he could. It just takes a little willpower. Incidentally, we're looking for a lap robe to sort of keep the boys warm. Do you folks have one? We used to have one, but I haven't seen it in ages. Have you tried Mr. Thornberry? Uh, not yet, but don't worry about it. We'll find one. Well, I have to run home. Good luck in the morning. Thanks, Emmy. Thanks, Emmy. Happy Easter. Same to you. Oh, will we see you on the Easter parade? You bet. I'll be there with bells on. Gee whiz, they'll wear anything. <laughs> come on now, fellas, up to bed. Yeah, come on, boys. Now, you heard your mother. Daddy and I will be up in a few minutes to see how you're doing. Boys, fine. Brush your teeth, David. Yes, ma'am. Get to sleep as soon as you can now, fellas. Harriet, I'm going over to Thorny's and see if he has that lap robe. Okay. Don't stay all night now. Now, don't worry. I won't. Can we listen to the radio for a while, Mom? Oh, no, not tonight. You'll be getting up at 4 o'clock. Do you realize how early that is? Mom? Yes, David? I'm kind of worried about Pop. Do you think he'll make it tomorrow morning? Oh, of course he will. Now, don't you worry about Daddy. He's awful hard to get up, Mom. Look. If you promise not to tell, I'll let you in on something. When Daddy's in bed tonight, I'm going to set the clock ahead an hour. So we'll really have two hours to get there. Mom? Yes? Are you smarter than Pop? Well, of course not. This is just a little joke, so he'll be sure and get up. Pop's really smart, isn't he? Well, certainly he is. Why all this concern? He told me I was going to grow up and be just like him. <laughs> Gosh, Oz, I'm awful sorry, but I can't seem to find the lap robe anywhere. Oh, that's okay, Thorny. Don't worry about it. Harriet says she has some army blankets. Well, be sure they're heavy ones. It gets awful cold that early. Oh, I know. You just think you do. Wait and see. What do you mean, wait and see? You talk as if I've never gotten up at 4 o'clock in the morning. Have you? Well, of course I have. Lots of time. Oh, Oz. No, it's a fact, Thorny. I don't mind getting up early after I'm on my feet. The reason we've missed the sunrise service before is... Well, confidentially, Harriet has a little difficulty waking up in the morning. You know how women are. You're telling me. My wife comes in in the morning and shakes me, calls me to breakfast. She can hardly keep her eyes open. See, this whole thing was their idea, but I'll probably have to drag the whole family out of bed in the morning. Say, I have an idea. Why don't you give yourself a little extra time? Play it safe. Uh, just how do you mean? Well, playing a little trick on Harriet. Wait till she's asleep, and then you get up and set the clock ahead an hour. Hey, that's not a bad idea. You know, Thorny, it'll serve her right, too. That's exactly the kind of a stunt she's always pulling on me. Well, it works both ways, too. Tomorrow morning, by the time you remember what you've done, you'll probably be half-dressed and you won't dare climb back into bed. No, don't worry about me, Thorny. Incidentally, why don't you and Catherine come along with us? No, no, we, we'll just go to the regular Easter service. Ah, oh, but there's something about getting up at that time of the morning. Yeah, I know. <laughs> we'll just go to the regular service. Oh, uh, by the way, Oz, if you should happen to get up in the morning, and if it should happen that you actually do go, don't slam the garage door. <laughs> Ozzie. Yeah? I was just going to ask if you were asleep. 
Funny, I was just going to ask you the same thing. Well, good night. Got to get some sleep. Yeah, got to get some sleep. You know, if you count sheep, you'll fall asleep faster. Does that really work? Oh, sure. Why don't you try it? <laughs> One sheep. Two sheep. Three sheep. A shepherd and a shaggy dog. Four sheep. Oh, dear. Hmm? What's the matter? I forgot something. Just go to sleep, dear. I'll only be a minute. Harriet, what are you doing? Winding the clock. Go to sleep, dear. I thought you wound it before. Well, I just wanted to make sure. Oh, golly, that reminds me. What's the matter? Uh, I forgot something. I just wound the clock. Yes, I know. I uh, uh, just making sure the the alarm is set. I said it. Just uh, checking up, sort of making sure of everything. meant to say in one more hour it'll be 11. Oh, yeah, that's what I meant. Night. Good night. Harriet. Yes? When we leave in the morning, remind me to slam the garage door a little. excitement of Easter is really buzzing around the Nelson household. Ozzie and Harriet planning to get up early. Emmy Lou all dressed up in a new Easter outfit. You know, folks have been putting on their prettiest clothes for Easter for a good many years now. And it's still the thing to do. Just the way it's still the thing for you and your best beau to go walking down the avenue after church, looking in all the store windows along the way. One of the things that will surely catch your eye is the beautiful, gleaming display of 1847 Rogers Brothers in the silverware store. Now, as over a century ago, young couples fall in love at first sight with that lovely silver plate created by famous 1847. Now, as then, they make it their choice for their homes, and the reason is simple enough. It's because there's no other silver plate you can buy that's so beautiful, that's created with such imagination and exquisite craftsmanship. 1847 Rogers Brothers truly is the finest silver plate in America. And amazingly enough, 1847 has not gone up in price since 1945. See it tomorrow. And remember, it's still the thing, as it was over a century ago, to choose the one and only... 1847 Rogers Brothers. 
It's the night before Easter, and all through the house, not a creature is stirring, not even a mouse. The clock on the dresser has been set with care in hope that morning will soon be there. It's getting later all the time, and I think Ozzie and Harriet are still awake. I can't seem to get to sleep. Ozzie. Hmm? The bedroom door just opened. There's somebody in the room. Don't be frightened, dear. Who's there? <laughs> Me, Pop. No, no. Oh, David, what do you want? Is it time to get up yet? <laughs> No, it isn't time yet, David. Now go on back to bed. Isn't it almost time, Pop? Ricky, where'd you come from? We're together. <laughs> now, boys, you know better than to come sneaking in like that, frightening your mother. Scaring your father. <laughs> now go back to bed, boys. We'll call you when it's time to get up. You woke Mother and Daddy up in the middle of the night. Come on, Ricky. Okay, good night, Mom. Good night, Ricky. Good night, Pop. Good night, Ricky. Good night, Mom. Good night, David. Good night, Pop. Good night, David. Good night, Mom. <laughs> Will you boys please go back to bed? <laughs> Prowling around this time of the night. <sighs> Let's go to sleep. There's somebody at the door. Make a fine time to go to sleep. Where's my bathrobe? It's on the chair by the door. he got to do with it? Well, Mr. Thornberry betting all the men in the neighborhood a dollar that you won't get to the sunrise service. So Daddy bet on you. Your father is a good man, Emmy Lou. <laughs> he made Mr. Thornberry give him odds. Well, good night, Mr. Nelson. Remember, we're rooting for you. <laughs> Sleep, Harriet. You want me to go in your room and see, Pop? <laughs> Ricky, what are you doing in my bed? I'm not in your bed. You're in my bed. Well, I gotta get some sleep, huh? Might as well stay right here. I like 
to sleep with you, Pop. Oh, that's nice. Go to sleep now, son. Good night, Pop. Good night, son. I was in bed. And I think it's a pretty cheap trick coming over here to wake me up so I can't get up for the sunrise service so you can collect the bets you've been making all over the neighborhood. Furthermore, it's the most unsportsmanlike conduct I've ever heard of in my life. Now, what do you want? Oz, I came over to bring you the lap robe. Uh, lap robe? Yes. After I'd gone to bed, I remembered where I put it. So I got up, got dressed, and brought it over to you. So little Ricky would be warm in the morning. Oh, thanks, Marty. Now I'll go all the way back home, go upstairs, and get undressed again, and go back to bed. Oh, that's nice of you, Thorny. I, 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 that is, I... Good night, Oz. Enjoy the sunrise service. <laughs> I guess I got in the wrong room. No, oh, this is the right room. <laughs> Go to sleep, Harry. Put the pillow over your head, Harriet. You won't hear it. Now, who could be calling at this hour? We don't have to answer it, you know. There's no law compelling a person to answer a telephone. Well, you may as well. They'll just keep on ringing. All right, I'll answer it, but I won't be civil.
down and get to sleep, Ozzy. Those things happen. Mexicali Rose. Oh, relax, dear. You have to get some sleep. Now forget it. Good night. Good night. Fresh air did the trick. How much farther, Mom? Oh, we're almost there now. When is the sun coming up? Pretty soon, David. Just where you see it, boys. It's a beautiful sight. It's awful dark out. You think we'll see any bears? And look, there's a bonfire. Oh, yeah, so I see. I guess that's where we park. There's a man by the fire. I guess he has it to keep away the bears. Hello there. Is this where we park for the sunrise services? Oh, Oh, yes, it is. Just park anywhere you like. Where is everybody? Oh, you're the first ones here. How about you? Well, I've been here all night. I'm in charge of the ushers. Expect they'll be along in an hour or two. <laughs> an hour or two? Yes, you folks are about two hours early. Two hours early? How did this happen? Well, Ozzy, I have a confession to make. I was a little worried about your getting up on time, so... I set the clock ahead an hour. Oh, Harriet, I'm surprised at you. All the mean tricks. How could you do a thing? <laughs> Harriet. Yes? I... I know you meant well, so I forgive you. Oh, thank you, dear. But that only accounts for one hour. What happened to the... Oh, so that's it. Well, I forgive you, too, dear. Now, what do you think we ought to do? Well, as long as we're all wide awake, we might as well stay right here. Mom? Yes? Can we get out of the car? Well, it's a bit chilly, David. I think you better just sit here with Daddy and me. My, this morning air is refreshing, isn't it? Mm, sure is. Ozzy, you aren't going to sleep, are you? No. should say not. Fully awake. What about you? Oh, I'm fine. Uh, 
What is it, dear? Daddy's asleep. How does the sun come up? Old Rick, he doesn't really come up. Then how does it get daylight? The sun is standing still and the world is turning around. And when it turns to our side, then it's daylight. Why, you're just saying that. I am not. Mother? Mother? Mom's asleep. <laughs> how can the world be turning around? We'd get dizzy, wouldn't we, David? David? <laughs> Hey, I better get to sleep before some bears come around and scare me. Hey! Hey, in there! Hey, wake up! Wake up! Oh, Harriet, Harriet. Yes, dear. Ooh, my neck. Come on, it's time for the services. Time for the services? The services were over long ago. It's after 8 o'clock. Time to go home. Oh, no. We missed the services? Yeah. First one's here. Last one's to go. <laughs> oh, dear. An Easter Sunday of all time. Uh, Harriet, if we rush right home, there's still time to get ready for church. That's right. Let's get started. Make sure that door is closed. That was fun, wasn't it, David? Yeah. <laughs> hey, Ma. Ricky, don't interrupt Mom when she's driving. What is it, Ricky? Can me and David go sometime again? Ricky, David and I. Okay, Mom, but if you and David go, can I go with you, Mom? <laughs> Mom? I guess so, but don't shout so loud. You'll wake Daddy. <laughs> in just a moment. Well, there's one thing you can say. The Nelsons tried hard, and they almost made it. I'd better not say anything at all, Mr. Smith, because I intended to make that sunrise service, too, and missed it myself. But I blame it all on 1847 Rogers Brothers. 1847 Rogers Brothers? Mm Mm-hmm. Last night, my husband brought me home a service for eight of 1847 as an Easter present. And I was so excited that I didn't even think about winding the clock and setting the alarm. Well, gosh, it's a wonder to me you even went to bed at all. Just think, you could have stayed up all night admiring your 1847 pattern. Every one of them so unusual. Adoration, eternally yours, first love, remembrance. They're designed to suit every woman's individual taste and decorating preferences. The pattern ornaments are more highly raised, more deeply carved, exquisite in every detail. And look at those beautiful gem-like open-work knife handles. And the extra luster and weight of each piece, too. (laughs) Well, honestly, Mr. Smith, I've never seen silver plate that has such richness in every way. It's really more like solid silver, and you can hardly blame a woman for getting excited when she sees a set of 1847 on her own table. Oh, not a bit. Because it means she owns the best, the finest silver plate in America. The one and only 1847 Rogers Brothers. people at church this morning, huh? Oh, yes, quite a few, David. Papa's sure quiet. He didn't say anything. Wait a minute. Where is your father? He was walking with us. He goes down the street. He didn't turn in our house. (laughs) Oh, you better go bring him back, boys. I think 
daddy's walking in his sleep. And remember, America's finest silver plate is 1847 Rogers Brothers. Yes, Harriet, America's finest silver plate is 1847 Rogers Brothers. Appearing in our cast tonight were Ozzie Nelson, Harriet Nelson, David Nelson, Ricky Nelson, Barbara Nelson, John Brown, (laughs) Janet Waldo, Joe Kearns, and yours truly, Vern Smith. Original music was composed and conducted by Billy May. Say, folks, you got a pencil handy? Write down the date, April 24th, next Sunday. What's going to happen then? Oh, that's the surprise. But I'll give you a hint. On the QT, it's QL. And believe me, folks, I've seen it, and it's truly beautiful. Happy Easter. Happy Happy Easter. Happy Easter, everybody. That was April 17, 1949, the Ozzie and Harriet Show. Just got off the phone a little bit ago with our friend Jim. And Jim, Happy Easter. You, you and I both love the couple next door, so we'll play one now. Here we go. Hold F4. Alt-Tab, Easter, Items, View, Multi-Select, 25C, Can you tie that full chamber, Muse, Chesterfield, Coast to Coast on Comic Weekly, Couple Next Door, 6004135196, Betsy, New Easter, Bonnet, Couple Next Door, 60014F597MR, Piper, The Easter Bunny, Couple Next Door, 600, Enter. CBS Radio brings you The Couple Next Door, written by Peg Lynch, and starring... Peg Lynch and Alan Bunce. Good morning, Daddy. Well, well, this is a pleasant surprise. What are you doing up so early? Oh, I don't know. I just woke up and I thought I'd come down and have breakfast with you. I thought, gee, I never have breakfast with my daddy anymore. Oh, well, I know, and I miss having breakfast with my Betsy, too. But I don't like you to miss your sleep just because I have such crazy early office hours. Where's Mommy? Well, Mommy's putting the first lot in the washing machine or something out there. Here, here, add some orange juice. Daddy, don't you think everybody ought to have a new Easter hat? Well, I should say so. Why, don't you have a new Easter bonnet? No, and I wish I did. All my friends do. Gee, they all got new things for Easter. Mommy said I didn't need any. Well, no, my goodness. I certainly think a little girl should have a new Easter bonnet. Oh, it doesn't matter really, Daddy. I mean, if we can't afford it, I don't mind. I know we have a lot of expenses, and you work so hard all the time. Oh, well, now, look here. I guess I can find a few pennies for a new hat for my girl. (laughs) I mean, what's the sense of having a pretty little girl if she can't have a new Easter bonnet? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Daddy, am I pretty? Oh, well, sort of. (laughs) Oh, Daddy, am I? 
You are beautiful. You are the you are the beautifulest thing I ever saw. <laughs> oh, Daddy, I think you're the handsomest man I ever saw too. <laughs> oh, Daddy, I love you so. Ah, well, Daddy kind of likes you too. <clears throat> now, come on, drink up your orange juice, Dad. Except maybe you ought to go brush your hair. At least you know, Mommy doesn't like to have you having you come down to the table with your hair uncombed like that. But you can eat breakfast in your bathroom. That's all right. All right, Daddy. I'll be right back down. And, Daddy, hmm? would you ask Mommy if I could have a new hat for Easter? Ask Mommy. Listen, your father is the lord and master in this household. You will have a new Easter bonnet. Oh, thank you, Daddy. You're the best Daddy in the whole world. Paris. European capital of fashion and femininity, where women are dedicated to being desirable and appealing. Paris, where the preferred deodorant among knowing women is new Odorono. Parisians have discovered that wonderful new Odorono forms a gentle, firm shield against odor-causing perspiration, gives you a clean, fresh feeling all day long. Odorono babies the skin. So mild it can't harm the finest fabrics. And now, important news. To introduce you to Paris's favorite deodorant, new Odorolo is being offered at just half price. For a limited time only, save 50 cents on the $1 jar of Odorolo cream. Or get new Odorolo spray, also at half price. Look for the Odorolo half price offer wherever deodorants are sold. I'm sorry you had to start eating alone. I wanted to get the washing started. I've got such a busy day. Yeah, it's okay. I had a little company. <laughs> Betsy woke up early, I guess. She'll be right back down. I sent her up to comb her hair a little. Betsy's awake so early? Yeah. I'm surprised she got up. It's getting harder and harder to get her up in the morning. <laughs> you want that piece of toast? I'm not mm-hmm. quite ready. You go ahead. Oh, all right. I'll take it. Oh, I didn't put any marmalade on the table. Well, never mind for me. I don't want any. Look, what's this about uh, Betsy not having a new Easter bonnet? Oh, that's why she got up. What do you mean? <laughs> oh, has she been working you? Oh, <laughs> for Pete's sake. No, she has not been working me, as you put it. <laughs> Betsy, wind you right around her little finger. All she has to say is, oh, Daddy, you're the best Daddy in the whole world. Which I'll bet she said, didn't she? <laughs> Oh, look, I don't blame you. She takes me in, too. All I'm saying is, dear, don't think she doesn't know what she's doing, because she uh, does. Well, I suppose. I, still, <laughs> I do think she ought to have a new Easter bonnet. There's nothing wrong with the one she insisted on getting for Easter last year, and she hasn't worn it since, maybe twice. She never wears a hat in the summer. She wears uh, one when she goes to Sunday school. She wears her winter hats, or else she wears just that little tiny flowered thing. She doesn't like the hat she got for Easter last year, so she won't wear it. And she's the one who wanted it at the time and is still practically new. So I don't think she should have a new one. Well, I've already promised her she can have one. Now, look, when I was a kid, everybody, everybody had something new for Easter. And, well, Betsy said all her friends have new hats. I mean, well, I think she ought to be allowed to have one. Anyhow, I've already said she could. All right. 
Oh, now, look, honey, I mean, if all our friends have new Easter bonnets... I said all right, didn't I? Yeah, you said it, but you're mad. I'm not mad at all. Naturally, if you've told her she can have one, I'll agree with you. But I don't like it when I tell her no about something. She comes running to you and gets you on her side. I mean, I don't think that's right. Frankly, I think you were wrong to agree without discussing it first with me. Yeah, yeah, well, I think I was wrong there, too. Well, all right. Shall I tell her that she can't have a new hat? No, then it looks as though I'm the mean one. Besides, I want Betsy to feel that the man, the father, is the final word in the family. You know, I've always tried to impress on both the children that their father is the final authority. That you are the one Oh, come on, honey. Who are we kidding? What do you mean? Get me some more coffee, will you? Yes, what do you mean by that remark? Well, darling, let's face it. I mean, times have changed. In this day and age, there isn't an American child who isn't perfectly aware of who really wears the pants in the family. The mother, the mother. Every leading sociologist tells Well, that is not true in our family. Sure. When you tell the children to do something, I make a special point of not disputing you. Even if I don't agree, yeah. I make a special point yeah. of not See, saying a word. You make a special point of it. Yes, See, well, I that's do. my point. In the old days, father's word was law. Mother never thought of disagreeing. If her husband said so, that was it. That was oh, it. fiddlesticks. All right, with fiddlesticks. It, men and women haven't changed that much. The family situation has, with women going out and working and bringing in money. I don't go out and work and bring in money. Could I have my coffee, please? You poured it, but you left it standing on the stove. Oh, yeah. I'm sorry. I'm busy arguing with you. Here you are, honey. Well, I don't care what you say. I always act as though you're the final authority. I always speak of you. I always speak of you to the children with respect and deference. Honey, when you say things like that, like... For heaven's sake, take your feet off the coffee table. that That's respect to the father of the family? Look, if the father of the family puts his feet on the coffee table... Yeah, when you table. say to me, what's the matter with you? Why don't you come to dinner? I've called you three times. Everything's going to be cold. Well, why do you disappear right at dinner time? Every night I well, have to all right, send... all right, okay, some blame on my side, I'll admit. But the point is, in the old days, father bought the coffee table. Father could put his feet on the coffee table if he wanted to. Nobody said anything. In the old days, Father wouldn't have thought of putting his feet on the coffee table. Which, as a matter of fact, I don't think they had then anyhow. Father would have sat in a very dignified way in the parlor, looking like the voice of authority, which he was. Well, when his dinner was ready, his his wife wouldn't have dared bawl him out, screaming that dinner would be cold, and would he, for heaven's sake, get to the table? Of course not. In the old days, Father would say... I would like dinner served at precisely six o'clock every evening. And at six promptly, Father would appear without being yelled at. (laughs) Well, okay, but what you still can't understand is that in the old days, you wouldn't even have discussed this with me. Don't you see? I I, I would have stated my opinion. You would have listened deferentially, and since my word was law, you'd simply have nodded and said quietly, Oh, yes, yes, Mr. Piper. (laughs) Would you like me to be more like that, dear? Certainly. <laughs> now, Mrs. Piper, yes. our daughter Elizabeth is allowed to have a new Easter bonnet. That is my decision. Yes, Mr. Piper. Very good. Very good. Now, now practice saying Now, practice saying it. Lower your eyes. Yes, Mr. Piper. Very good. Very good. Thank you, Mr. Piper. Yeah, yeah, I, you know, I like that. <laughs> you know something? I'll bet family life would be a lot simpler if there were just one authority. Do you realize mm. that there'd never be any disagreements? Then father would decide everything. 
children wouldn't play parents against each other. They'd, they'd know there was just one person whose word was final. I have always tried to make Betsy feel that about you, Yeah, dear. well, I don't think she does at all. The fact that she asked you first if she could get a new hat, uh, that proves it. All right. All right, I'm sorry. Well, I hear her coming back down to breakfast, and I will try to impress on her once and for all that her father is the final authority. We'll return to the couple next door in just a moment. These voices should be familiar to you. I'll think of my audience as never more than one person. Hi, Gary Moore here. Hello, everybody. This is Art Linkletter. Well, fancy meeting you here, Miss Clooney. Bing Crosby, what a small world it is. We do have an appointment, you know. Those voices come to you every weekday, a happy habit every Monday through Friday on CBS Radio. Bing and Rosie as a delectable singing, talking team. Art Linkletter is host of House Party. Gary Moore with his splendid sidekick, Derwood Kirby. And Arthur Godfrey, currently reporting from somewhere east of Suez on his regular daytime show. All those stars at one convenient time of day for all America's enjoyment. Come one, come all. They're as happy a daytime habit as you can form. Where? Why, right here on your station affiliated with CBS Radio. Where else? what I've tried to impress on you, Betsy, is that it is your father who earns the living, who supports us and takes care of us, feeds and clothes us. I know. Now, don't be sassy. I don't mean to be sassy, Daddy. I do know all that. I don't know what Mommy's trying to say to me. Well, for example, if you want a new Easter bonnet, ask Daddy. I did, and he said I could have one, didn't you, Daddy? <laughs> well, yes, yeah, but the point is, Betsy... You must not ask me for things as you did with the Easter hat. I said no... Because I, uh, I felt that you should ask Daddy. Then I did ask Daddy, and he said yes. I know, but in the future, when you want something, ask Daddy first. Don't you understand? He's the head of the family. You mean, ask Daddy first just to be polite? Oh, no, I'm no, 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 darling, Come on, for the heck with it. Let's finish breakfast. Betsy, now just understand one thing. In the future, when you want anything or some decision has to be made, just ask your father. Now, don't ask Mommy. Ask Daddy. Is that clear? I guess so. I ask Daddy first, and then he has to ask you. Oh, oh no, oh, darling. You, you see no, what I told no, you? No, you no. See, who are we kidding around Betsy, here? Betsy, Daddy doesn't ever have to ask Mommy anything. Mommy has to do what Daddy says because Daddy's the head of the family. And also, we want to do what Daddy says because we love him, and he loves you us. You will do what your father says because he's your father. Now, that is all the explanation you need, young lady. <laughs> what did I do? I didn't say anything. I didn't do anything. Oh, sweetheart, <laughs> Daddy didn't mean it. What is the matter with well, you? I don't know. I don't know. Oh, baby, baby, look. No, no, Daddy didn't mean to speak there, sharply like that. I already didn't, honey. Here, come to your Take daddy. Mommy's hanky. I think she's been upset anyhow because of the Easter bunny. Well, of course she has it. But now Daddy Daddy's didn't... girl is going to have a new hat, huh? Daddy didn't I mean... don't need a new hat. 
I haven't got a, a new a new dress with it anyway. Mommy said I didn't need a new dress. Well, your father said you could have a new dress and a new hat. She can. I didn't say a word. <laughs> Whatever you decide. Here, give her to me. She's getting strawberry <coughs> jam all over your tie. Oh, oh golly. There, there, well, sweetheart. it's easy to see who really oh, runs this family. The Couple Next Door stars Peg Lynch and Alan Bunce with Francie Myers and is produced by Walter Hart and directed by Dick Stenta. This is Stuart Met speaking. This was an original old radio broadcast presented by Radio of Yesteryear. Carol Hawkins speaking. All right, let's play a really good special that John Lurie, the Lurie played on same time, same station last year. We played it too. And Lurie dropboxed it to me today, so here he is. Alt F4, 1. The couple menu, system menu, window, sub menu, alt tab, menu bar, leaving menus, 1. The couple next door, betsing, alt F4, 1. The couple next door, alt F4, desktop, folder view, list view, M, my music, M, my documents, enter, documents, E, Easter, enter, shelf, 2, 24, 8, Z, Amos and Ave, Baby, Burns, Canutai, Chamber, Chesterfield, Coast of Comic, We Couple, Next Couple, Next, Easter Seal, Eddie Cant, Everything for Exploring, Fibber McGeehan, Gene Autry, Great Gildersloof, Great Gil, Great Gil, Greatest Story, Greatest, 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 Jack, Jack Ben, Just Entertain, Life of Riley, Life with Lou, Mel Blanche, My Favorite, uh, Ozzy and Harry, Romance of the Rat, Six Shooter, five, Son of Man, Four Eight, Six, Son of Man, Four Eight Zero Three Two Eight Easter Special, Enter. Tell it again, and CBS is there. The programs normally scheduled in the next hour will not be heard today as the Columbia Broadcasting System is again presenting The Son of Man, a passion play prepared by Archibald McLeish. This special Easter program was first broadcast one year ago and is brought to you again this year in response to the many requests received from all parts of the country. Resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ.
words of the Passion and Resurrection are taken from the four Gospels and the King James Version of the Bible. The music is the music of Bach. There are four speaking voices, the evangelists Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John. These, with the music, make up the play. That is to say, the music has an actor's part, for Johann Sebastian Bach was himself a witness, not to the event, but to the meaning of the event. Of the four speakers, Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John, we know little beyond the words they wrote in their Gospels. These words, however, have much to say of their characters as men and of the differences between them. Mark speaks with the simplicity of an old man remembering what he himself had seen, the voice of one who had taken part in great actions. The Gospel according to Mark. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in the prophets, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face. Prepare ye the way of the Lord. John came, who did baptize in the wilderness. Matthew speaks with the force and authority of one who respects the past, one who has labored and lived among the people, listening long to their stories, and putting the great narrative together with love and humility and passion. The Gospel according to Matthew. The book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. So all the generations from Abraham to David are 14 generations. Luke's voice is the worldly but profoundly believing voice of a man who had journeyed much in the great cities of the Roman world. He was a cosmopolitan, an urbane and sensitive observer, to whom the narrative was true not only for the province of Judea, but for the Roman Empire and for the world. The Gospel according to Luke. For as much as many have taken in hand to set forth a declaration of those things which are most surely believed among us, it seemed good to me also having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write unto thee. John's own voice speaks for him. He testifies not by the witness of his eyes, but of his soul. John is the mystic, the penetrator, to whom the past exists in the present, and the present exists in eternity, and whatever was, still is, and always will be. The Gospel according to John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us full of grace and truth. No man hath seen God at any time. The only begotten Son, which is in the bosom of the Father, he hath declared him. Son of Man, the Passion and Resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ.
were in the way going up to Jerusalem. And Jesus went before them, and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. And Jesus, going up to Jerusalem, took the twelve disciples apart in the way, and he said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priests and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death, and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock. And they shall mock him, and shall scourge him, and shall spit upon him, and shall kill him. And the third day he shall rise again. And the disciples understood none of these things. And this saying was hid from them. Neither knew they the things which were spoken. And the Jews' Passover was nigh at hand. And many went out of the country up to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. Then sought they for Jesus, and spake among themselves as they stood in the temple, What think ye, that he will not come to the feast? For both the chief priests and the Pharisees had given a commandment, that if any man knew where he were, he should show it, that they might take him. And much people that were come to the feast when they heard that Jesus was coming to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the King of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. And when they drew nigh unto Jerusalem and were come to Bethphuji under the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying unto them, Go into the village over against you, and straightway ye shall find an ass tied and a colt with her. Loose them, and bring them unto me. And the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them, and brought the ass and the colt, and put on them their clothes, and they set him thereon. And a very great multitude spread their garments in the way. Others cut down branches from the trees and strewed them in the way. And the multitudes that went before and that followed cried, saying, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he that cometh in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And some of the Pharisees from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these should hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. And when he was come nigh, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, 
If thou hadst known, even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the days shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round and keep thee in on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee. And they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitations. And when he was come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? And the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet of Nazareth, of Galilee. And the blind and the lame came to him in the temple, and he healed them. And he taught daily in the temple, but the chief priests and the scribes and the chief of the people sought to destroy him. And could not find what they might do, for all the people were very attentive to hear him. And Jesus spake to his disciples, saying, the hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it bringeth forth much fruit. He that loveth his life shall lose it, and he that hateth his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. is my soul troubled. And what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. And as he was walking in the temple, there came to him the chief priests and the scribes and the elders, and say unto him, By what authority dost thou these things? And who gave thee this authority to do these things? And Jesus said unto them, I will also ask of you one question, and answer me, and I will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John. Was it from heaven or of men? Answer me. And they reasoned with themselves, saying, If we shall say from heaven, he will say, Why then did ye not believe him? But if we shall say of men, they feared the people. For all men counted John that he was a prophet indeed. They answered and said unto Jesus, We cannot tell. And Jesus answering saith unto them, Neither tell I you by what authority I do these things. Then one of the Pharisees, a lawyer, asked him a question, tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God 
with all thy heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. And the second is like unto it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the whole law and the prophets. And no man after that durst ask him any question. feast of unleavened bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover, and the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill him, for they feared the people. And being in Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he sat at meat, there came a woman having an alabaster box of ointment, of spikenard, very precious. And she brake the box and poured it on his head. And the house was filled with the odor of the ointment. Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him. Why was not this ointment sold for three hundred pence and given to the poor? When Jesus understood it, he said unto them, Why trouble ye the woman? For she hath wrought a good work upon me. For ye have the poor always with you, but me ye have not always. For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. Verily I say unto you, wheresoever this gospel shall be preached in the whole world, that also which this woman hath done shall be spoken of for a memorial to her. Then Judas Iscariot went unto the chief priests and said unto them, What will ye give me, and I will deliver him unto you? And they covenanted with him for thirty pieces of silver. And from that time he sought opportunity to betray him. the first day of unleavened bread, when they killed the Passover, his disciples say unto him, Where wilt thou that we go and prepare that thou mayest eat the Passover? And he sendeth forth two of his disciples, and saith unto them, Go ye into the city, 
and there shalt meet you a man bearing a pitcher of water. Follow him, and wheresoever he shall go in, say to the good man of the house, The master saith, Where is the guest chamber where I shall eat the Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large upper room, furnished and prepared. There make ready for us. And his disciples went forth and came unto the city and found as he had told them. And they made ready for the Passover. And in the evening he cometh with the twelve. And supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, that he was come from God and goeth unto God, he riseth from supper, and laid aside his garments, and took a towel and girded himself. After that he poureth water into a basin, and began to wash the disciples' feet, and to wipe them with the towel, wherewith he was girded. So after he had washed their feet and had taken his garments and was set down again, he said unto them, Know ye what I have done to you? Ye call me Master and Lord, and ye say, Well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and Master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. And as they sat and did eat, Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, One of you which sitteth with me shall betray me. Behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goeth as it was determined, but woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. Good were it for that man if he had never been born. And they were exceeding sorrowful, and began every one of them to say unto him, Lord, is it I? Then Judas, which betrayed him, answered and said, Master, is it I? He saith unto him, Thou hast said. Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. Now no man at the table knew for what intent he spake this. Judas then went immediately out, and it was night. When he was gone out, Jesus saith, Now is the Son of Man glorified, and God is glorified in him. Little children, yet a little while I am with you. Whither I go ye cannot come. 
So now I say to you, a new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. And Jesus saith unto them, All ye shall be offended, for it is written, I will smite the shepherd, and the sheep shall be scattered. But Peter said unto him, Although all shall be offended, yet will not I. Jesus saith unto him, Verily I say unto thee, that this day, even in this night, before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. But spake Peter the more vehemently, If I should die with thee, I will not deny thee. And he took bread and gave thanks, and brake it, and gave unto them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. This do in remembrance of me. Likewise also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood, which is shed for you, saying, In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. And Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. How can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, and the truth, and the life. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be fearful. If ye love me, ye would rejoice, because I go unto the Father. And now I have told you before it come to pass, that when it is come to pass, ye might believe. Arise, let us go hence. out into the Mount of Olives. And they came to a place which was named Gethsemane. And he saith to his disciples, Sit ye here while I shall pray. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went forward a little and fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible unto thee. Take away this cup from me. Nevertheless, 
Not what I will, but what thou wilt. And he cometh unto the three disciples, and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What, could ye not watch with me one hour? Watch and pray, that ye enter not into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again he went and prayed and spake the same words. And when he returned, he found them asleep again, for their eyes were heavy. Neither wist they what to answer him. And he cometh the third time and saith unto them, Sleep on now and take your rest. It is enough. The hour is come. Behold, the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise up, let us go. Lo, he that betrayeth me is at hand. While he yet spake, behold, a multitude, and he that was called Judas, one of the twelve, went before them. And Judas also, which betrayed him, knew the place. For Jesus oft times resorted thither with his disciples. Judas then, having received a band of men and officers and the chief priests and Pharisees, cometh thither with lanterns and torches and weapons... Jesus therefore said unto them, Whom seek ye? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus of Nazareth. And he that betrayed him had given them a token, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, that same is he. Take him and lead him away safely. And as soon as he was come, he goeth straightway to Jesus and saith, Master, Master, and kissed him. And Jesus said unto him, Friend, wherefore art thou come? Then came they and laid hands on Jesus and took him. And Jesus answered and said unto them, are ye come out as against a thief with swords and with staves to take me? And all the disciples forsook him and fled. And it was night. Verily I say unto thee, that this day, even in this night, before the cock crow twice. And they that had laid hand hold on Jesus led him away to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders were assembled. And the chief priests and all the council sought for witness against Jesus to put him to death and found none. For many bear false witness against him, but their witness agreed not together. But afterward came two and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. But he spake of the temple of his body. And when therefore he was risen from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this unto them. And the high priest arose and said unto him, Answerest thou nothing? What is it with these witness against thee? But Jesus held his peace. And the high priest said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God, that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said, I am. 
and ye shall see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest rent his clothes, saying, He has spoken blasphemy. What further need have we of witnesses? Behold, now ye have heard his blasphemy. What think ye? They answered and said, He is worthy of death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to buffet him. And the men that held Jesus mocked him and smote him. And when they had blindfolded him, they struck him on the face and asked him, saying, Prophesy, who is it that smote thee? followed him afar off and into the palace of the high priest. And the servants and the officers stood there who had made a fire of coals. For it was cold and they warmed themselves. And Peter sat with the servants and warmed himself at the fire. But a certain maid beheld him as he sat by the fire and earnestly looked upon him and said, This man also was with him. Thou also wast with Jesus of Galilee. But he denied, saying, I know not. Neither understand I what thou sayest. He went out into the porch, and the cock crew. And when he was gone out into the porch, another maid saw him, and saith unto them that were there, This fellow was also with Jesus of Nazareth. And again he denied with an oath, I know not the man. And after a while came unto him they that stood by, and said to Peter, Surely thou also art one of them, for thy speech bereath thee. But he began to curse and to swear, saying, I know not this man of whom ye speak. And the second time the cock crew. And Peter called to mind the word that Jesus said unto him, Before the cock crow twice, thou shalt deny me thrice. And when he thought thereon, he wept. When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. And when they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Then Judas, which had betrayed him, when he saw that he was condemned, repented himself and brought again the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and elders, saying, I have sinned in that I have betrayed innocent blood. And they said, What is that to us? See thou to that. And he cast down the pieces of silver in the temple and departed and went and hanged himself. Then led they Jesus from Caiaphas unto the hall of judgment, and it was early. And they themselves went not into the judgment hall. Pilate therefore went out unto them and said, what accusation bring ye against this man? And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this fellow perverting the nation and forbidding to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is Christ a king. Then said Pilate unto them, 
Take ye him. Judge him according to your law. They said unto him, It is not lawful for us to put any man to death. Pilate therefore said unto him, Art thou a king then? And Jesus answered, Thou sayest that I am a king. To this end was I born, and for this cause came I into the world, that I should bear witness unto the truth. Pilate saith unto him, What is truth? Then said Pilate to the chief priests and to the people, I find no fault in this man. And the chief priests accused him of many things. But Jesus yet answered nothing. So that Pilate marveled. Now at that feast the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. And they had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you? Barabbas, or Jesus, which is called Christ. For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. But the chief priests moved the people that he should rather release Barabbas unto them. So that they cried out all at once, saying, Away with this man, and release unto us Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? And they cried out again, Crucify him. Then Pilate said unto them, Why? What evil hath he done? And they cried out the more exceedingly, Crucify him! When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. And Pilate gave sentence that it should be as they required. And he released Barabbas that for sedition and murder was cast into prison, whom they had desired but delivered Jesus to their will. And the soldiers led him away into the hall called Praetorium, and they called together the whole band, and they clothed him with purple and plaited a crown of thorns and put it about his head, and began to salute him, Hail, King of the Jews! And they smote him on the head with a reed and did spit upon him, and bowing their knees, worshipped him. And after they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. As they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And there followed him a great company of people and of women which, alas, bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus, turning unto them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say, a place
place of a skull. Into a place called the place of a skull, which is called in the Hebrew, Golgotha. They gave him to drink wine mingled with myrrh. They gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And when they were come to the place which is called the skull, there they crucified him.
And it was the third hour, and they crucified him. And they crucified him and parted his garments, casting lots. And sitting down, they watched him there. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And with him they crucified two thieves, the one on his right hand and the other on his left. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and did build it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priests mocking said among themselves with the scribes, he saved others, himself he cannot save. The thieves also which were crucified with him cast the same in his teeth. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to the disciple, Behold, thy mother. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour, and the sun was darkened. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And some of them that stood by when they heard it said, Behold, he called Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, Let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. And Jesus cried with a loud voice and gave up the ghost. temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened. And when the centurion saw that he so cried out and gave up the ghost, he said, Truly this man was the Son of God. And all the people that came together to that sight, beholding the things which were done, smote their breasts. And all his acquaintance and the women that followed him from Galilee stood afar off, beholding these things. When the even was come, there came a rich man of Arimathea named Joseph, which also waited for the kingdom of God. This man went to Pilate and begged the body of Jesus. Then Pilate commanded the body to be delivered. And Joseph bought fine linen and took him down and wrapped him in the linen and laid him in a sepulcher which was hewn out of a rock. And he rolled a great stone to the door of the sepulcher 
and departed. And the women also which came with him from Galilee followed after and beheld the sepulcher and how his body was laid. And there was Mary Magdalene and the other Mary sitting over against the sepulcher. And they returned and prepared spices and ointments and rested the Sabbath day according to the commandment. day, the chief priests and Pharisees came together unto Pilate, saying, Sir, we remember that that deceiver said while he was yet alive, after three days I will rise again. Command, therefore, that the sepulcher be made sure until the third day, lest his disciples come by night and steal him away, and say unto the people, He is risen from the dead, so the last error shall be worse than the first. Pilate said unto them, Ye have a watch, go your way. Make it as sure as you can. So they went and made the sepulcher sure, sealing the stone and setting a watch. Sabbath was past, Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James and Salome had brought sweet spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early in the morning, the first day of the week, they came unto the sepulchre. Very early in the morning, when it was yet dark, and they found the stone rolled away from the sepulchre. And entering into the sepulchre, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, clothed in a long white garment. And they were affrighted. And he saith unto them, Be not affrighted. Ye seek Jesus of Nazareth, which was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. Behold the place where they laid him. He is not here, for he is risen, even as he said. He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spake unto you when he was yet in Galilee, saying, The Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified, and the third day rise again. And they remembered his words. And they returned from the sepulchre and told all these things unto the eleven and to all the rest. And these words seemed to the disciples as idle tales, and they believed them not. Then arose Peter and ran unto the sepulchre. And stooping down, 
he beheld the linen cloths laid by themselves. Peter therefore went forth, and that other disciple, and came to the sepulchre. And so they ran both together, and the other disciple did outrun Peter and came first to the sepulchre. And he, stooping down and looking in, saw the linen cloths lying, yet went he not in. Then cometh Simon Peter following him, and went into the sepulchre, and seeth the linen cloths lie, and the napkin that was upon his head, not lying with the linen cloths, but wrapped together in a place by itself. Then went in also that other disciple, which came first to the sepulchre, and he saw and believed. Now when Jesus was risen, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene. Mary stood without at the sepulchre weeping. And as she wept, she stooped down and looked into the sepulchre, and seeth two angels in white sitting, the one at the head, the other at the feet, where the body of Jesus had lain. And they say unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? And she saith unto them, Because they have taken away my Lord, and I know not where they have laid him. And when she had thus said, she turned herself back and saw Jesus standing, and knew not that it was Jesus. And Jesus saith unto her, Woman, why weepest thou? Whom seekest thou? And she, supposing him to be the gardener, saith unto him, Sir, if thou hast borne him hence, tell me where thou hast laid him, and I will take him away. And Jesus saith unto her, Mary. She turned herself and saith unto him, Rabboni, which is to say, Master. Jesus saith unto her, Touch me not, for I am not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say unto them, I ascend unto my Father and your Father, and to my God and your God. And Mary Magdalene cometh and telleth the disciples, I have seen the Lord.
just heard The Son of Man, the story of the passion and resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. All of the words were taken from the four Gospels of the New Testament and were arranged for this special CBS broadcast by Archibald McLeish. The voices were those of the four evangelists, Mark, Matthew, Luke, and John. The words of St. Mark were spoken by Rod Hendrickson, the words of St. Matthew by James Goss, of St. Luke by Theodore Osborne, and of St. John by Brett Morrison. Introductory words were spoken by Gregory Morton. All of the music was taken from Bach's B minor mass and from his passions according to St. Matthew and St. John. Alexander Semler prepared the musical scores and conducted the CBS Symphony Orchestra and Chorus. The chorus was especially trained for The Son of Man by Robert Shaw. program was produced and directed by Guy Della Chapa. This is CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System.
Easter, everybody. We'll talk to you later Sunday night. Have a wonderful Easter, everybody. Love you all very, very much. Alt-Tab. Items view multis. Alt-Tab. 1. Son of Alt-F4. 1. Son of Man. Easter. Items view multis. Alt-Tab. Soundforge Pro 11.0. Escape. Escape. Enter. Enter. Menu. File A. Leaving menus. Sound 1 star. Save as dialog. File name. Sound 1. Edit. S-A-T-U-R-D-A-Y-N-I-G-H-T. 3-31-18 S-E-C-O-N-D P-C-G-E-S-T M-A-R-I-O-N-R-O-S-S-W-I-T-H P-A-T-R-I-C-I-A Save as type combo box wave micros save button enter Jaws Professional Apple Software Update Dialog List View Alt F4 Alt Tab Alt Tab Skype Trademark 34 Walt Page Down Alt Tab Replayer Alt Tab Alt Tab G7 Alt Tab Soundforge Pro 11.0